Greetings, friends. Welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the film review podcast, where we review films, and also there's a sound effect. Well done. Thank you. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I am a film critic. I contribute to Slash Film. With me, as always, is my far more intelligent, far more interesting, warm-ring, warm-loving... Warm-ring? Warm-warm-warm-loving... Worming. Worming. We're going to be doing some worming in this episode. Hey, William, introduce yourself. Hi, Whitney is too nice when he introduces me. Uh, my name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. All right, for the rap, everybody calls me Bibbs. And uh, yeah, this week on Critically Acclaimed, we're going to be reviewing Dune 2. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're going to be reviewing Dune 2. We're also going to be reviewing uh, Drive Away Dolls. There's no comma. It's not like drive, he said. It's oh, okay. Drive away dolls. I love that you just referenced drive, he said. <laughs> this, this incredibly well-known Jack Nicholson-directed motion picture. People know... Do they? People like us. No drive, okay, he said. that's fine. Uh, and, uh, and also, because it's a bit of a thin week and we're going to do it anyway... Uh, thin, we, t- thin two weeks. We, we took a week off, yeah, uh, just because of circumstances. Uh, I, I went out of town, uh, and then we came back, and we were just like busy and really busy, oh, and then we God. were sick and other things just about our family. personal life. All kinds. It's of just stuff. been a lot of drama. So, it's been so in hard. the last two weeks, I have seen two pictures. That's uh-huh. very low for me. Yeah, um, I only saw the one. Well, I saw other things, but they were for other work things or the yeah. upcoming. Yeah, I've, uh, I've, things, I've, I've but... seen other films in that time, but mm. not within these particular release windows. Within the parameters. So, uh, yeah. So, unfortunately, uh, in terms of reviews, it's going to be a little trim, but right. we have other treats as well, because yeah. we're right on the cusp of the Academy Awards, yep. uh, which is a, a, a meaningless prom yeah. that we love to celebrate regardless. Everyone likes prom, except no one no I one... know likes their prom. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure they're out there. I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure one of you is like, my prom was okay you're the exception i'm happy for you uh, but you're the exception my date stood me up nice at my prom nice i was there in my suit with her corsage and she didn't show yeah my uh my prom they only played one slow song and we missed it because we were getting our picture taken i'm so sorry yeah what the one yeah one for I, was, I was proud of like i went to melrose uh, to Ardvark uh, vintage clothing which isn't oh, yeah. there anymore oh i missed yeah, that Aardvark that with three a's and uh yeah and I found this vintage uh, Coke can red tuxedo. Mm. And I wore a black shirt with silver buttons. Oh, it sounds a nice. A sparkly silver bow tie and cummerbund. Oh my and God, I love you. Yeah, I was I was very proud of my look. Wow. And, and I, I kept that suit for years. And I wore it for years after that. Oh my that. God. But uh, yeah, and, and I dressed up and no, no, my date did not show <sighs> well, up. Well, sure, I'm sure you didn't go home alone with a suit like that. I, I accompanied a friend. But That's no, not I, quite what I meant. But okay, fine. Uh, anyway, oh no, if if you're implying that I like picked someone up and went home with them, and, I assume and, someone and picked out, you up, or someone picked me up. First of all, I'm a film critic now. <laughs> Do you think I was cool in yeah, high you school? Graduated <laughs> to film critic. You got you improved to film critic. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, now. If you think I'm cool now. <laughs> I was, oh, uh, this, this is a true story. I don't usually mention this because it's mm. a little embarrassing. Uh, I was voted uh-huh. most likely to succeed. Hey, and look, I, here d- we are. Look at me now. I work mm. freelance film criticism. <laughs> you're su- and you're succeeding at Well, I suppose so. And yeah, thank you to everybody you're, for You're listening. a part of prestigious bodies and you are very good at your job, Oh, you're sir. sweet. You're sweet. Thank you so much. Anyway, we're, we, this mm. was all a weird, long preamble. 
to, to, to I was also voted the most stressed, and that turned out to be true. <laughs> that has stayed accurate, by the way. But anyway, but, but we're, we're reviewing Dune Part Two. We're, we're reviewing, reviewing Driveway uh, Dolls, Driveway Dolls, and we are going to be talking. We do this every year. It's not important, but we enjoy it. Mm. We're going to be predicting the Oscars, what we think should win, what we think will win. Uh, and if this helps someone out with their, mm. you know, party ballots, they got a little money uh, on this at the office. Happy to help. Hope it helps. We're, we're usually not far off. Yeah, we um, uh, we just did an episode uh, recently. I guess this is a sub. We did a supplemental. We, we episode, did do an episode last um, week yeah. where we uh, reviewed all fifteen of the Oscar nominated short films. Yeah, and. Uh, if, if you want a little bit more elucidation on those, you can listen to that episode, but mm-hmm. we'll be talking about, about them again here. Have you seen every Oscar-nominated film this year? No, I have not. I've seen everything, uh, what they call, above the line. Ah. Uh, so mm. all of the acting and writing and directing I've and picture missed, categories. I've actually missed two of those this year. And I'm okay. going to try to fix that before the Oscars, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I haven't had the Yeah, the only best picture nominee I hadn't seen was Maestro, and I've caught up on that. Ah. And it is not good. <laughs> it's not especially it's, it's good. It's like... It's okay? Uh, ish like it's yeah, there's bits i like i i can't see what bradley cooper is getting at other than uh theater kids are neat <laughs> like that seems to be the whole thesis of his movie well i guess he was playing to his audience uh, yeah i guess so <laughs> anyway uh we'll, we'll get to that later we're going to review some movies right now the big release uh uh right now it's mm. it's selling out theaters across the country the biggest uh, hit in months it's been a bit since we've had one and it's kind of nice that it's that a movie like well we weren't a huge fan of Denis Villeneuve's original dune yeah dune part 1 uh you know that was released under weird circumstances the pandemic was still mm. uh there there was still a lot of um you know isolating a lot of people mm. weren't going to the theater and so it did okay in theaters but it was released concurrently on HBO Max and it just didn't drive people yeah. to the multiplex however i actually think that might have helped a bit because everybody had such easy access to it when it was initially hyped that I know a lot of people love that movie. They loved it, and now they really want to see what happens next. Yeah. And I think that's really, that's the, the financial success, at least initially, of a sequel is usually a referendum on how much people actually liked the first one. Right. Because after the hype dies down, are you still interested in seeing more? Mm. And apparently, yeah. 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 Uh, Denis Villeneuve, he's a French-Canadian director. Mm -hmm. This is his ninth feature film. Mm -hmm. Um, And he is... He's another one of those um, aesthetics first kind of guys. He's he's he's, he's, he's kind of uh, our generation's Ridley Scott. Yeah, or this yeah, new which, generation, which is Ridley fair. Scott which and he actually did a sequel to a Ridley Scott film, so <laughs> a pretty uh, good one, I thought. I know you weren't uh, a huge fan. Wasn't but, a fan yeah. of the original or the re- or, yeah. or the sequel, but yeah. um, uh, he he tends to get really great photographers to work yeah. for him, and he gets great work. Uh, same with production design. Yeah, uh, and. Apart from that, I don't think he has much on his mind. Mm. He doesn't have a, like something important he needs to say. But here's the thing, mm. and this is something I think is interesting. Ridley Scott, and we talk about this a lot, there are certain filmmakers who are, more than anything else, they're stylists. Yeah. And whatever you give them, they will put their spin on it, and if the material is good, it usually turns out good, and if the material is bad... They'll still it, put their spin on it. They'll still put their spin on it, and if you're a fan, you might at least appreciate that. Tim Burton is a great example of this. Um, and these are people who like put try their hands at everything. Uh, Ridley Scott, if he gets like superficial material, it, he, it's, he'll let it be mm. frothy. Mm-hmm. You know, Matchstick Man. It's, it's, it's a con movie, you know? Yeah. Good, good year. He's not pretending that's, that's the hugest thing in the world. 
everything Denis Villeneuve does, and I think Christopher Nolan does this to a different extent, he's got a way of making everything that happens feel super important, super huge, super epic, even if it's intimate, even if it's like a thriller like Prisoners mm. or a cop movie, essentially, like Sicario. Um, these are movies that have epic qualities to them and it's only later on if you or or if you're really on your game you're not letting getting swayed by his aesthetics later on you can figure out was that actually good yeah or did he it, just find a way well, to present I, it that I it think, looked uh, good you th- know are, felt good at the time uh, nolan i think has has something to say he actually has like something on his mind yeah uh, it's, yeah. he's not just an, an aesthetician no no, no uh, i'm he, not i'm not saying uh, he's like that no uh, but I do think I do think he, he his mm. movies have a lot of portent. Yeah, I, but there tends there's a certain kind of filmmaker that tends to uh, persist in the popular consciousness. Yeah, because of the power of their style. Yeah, um, you can point at their movie and go, yeah, "Oh, that's Denis Villeneuve." That, that's yeah. what their style looks like, and they tend to have very uh, f- fervent fans around them. I'm a big yeah. Tim Burton fan. Sure. Um, you could say the same thing about Zack Snyder. I'm not a Zack Snyder fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find his films to be maddeningly shallow. But there are people uh, who love. But there are what people who does. love because of that sense of portent. Yeah, that's it. Enough, it doesn't, that's it doesn't really matter what he's if he's saying anything at all. If it feels important, that's the important thing. And honestly, uh, he, he's taken material that actually was important <clears throat> and somehow made it feel less important. I'm thinking yeah, of the Watchmen yeah. in particular, where it's like so the the changes that they made to that mm. really rob it of a mm. lot of its of a little of its oomph i'll yeah. say this for dune part two mm. uh, i think the material like frank herbert's original novel from 1965 i think it was published um ha- had enough like political and thematic weight yeah that denis villeneuve couldn't wreck it um <laughs> That's that's a slightly harsh way of putting. That. I, I think so, and 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 I, I like this movie okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's actually like a really sort of important thematic twist he gives to the entire picture, that I think uh, alters uh, Frank Herbert's original text a little oh, bit. Interesting. It it definitely strays far from the David Lynch adaptation, which I really like. See, this is, um, I'm I'm really glad I'm talking about this because I've only seen adaptations of Dune. I've never read the original okay, material. Yeah. So I've, I haven't can... read any of the sequels. Uh, mm-hmm. I've only read Dune. This next book was called Dune Messiah, and. Um, a friend of mine warned me because he's read all of the Dune books, even all of the newer ones by Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson. Yeah, keep going. Um, he said you can't read the first book and then put it put it down and put it away, uh-huh. and don't ever go to, to any of the sequels because you read page one of Dune Messiah, you're then on the hook for everything <laughs> that comes after. You can't stop after. Like, you that. can read The Hobbit, you can't just read. Fellowship of the Ring. You're gonna be. You're gonna like. Be, like yeah, you can read yeah. just the Hobbit, but yeah, you can't start yeah. Fellowship. Otherwise, yeah. you're on the hook for those three books. Um, so, uh, I'm not familiar with the entire uh, full extent of the Dune mythos. It's, I just know the first book pretty well. It's my uh, understanding that Denis Villeneuve would like to do another movie, mm-hmm. at least one more, probably covering Dune Messiah. Is my understanding, and that some of the things that he changed in the text, and I couldn't tell you what they are, mm. but some of the things that he changed in the text were either setting up Dune Messiah or bits from Dune Messiah that he worked backwards a little bit there to was, make uh, it, you know, to, to make a clearer through line. Yeah. In in David Lynch's version, um, do you, uh, Alia, 
Paul Atreides' uh, young sister yeah, was played, born. Played by Alicia Wett. Played by Alicia Wett when she was like six. Yeah. Uh, she was born, but they like dubbed her voice and it was all this... Very like, strange. Like she was born and then grew into a six-year-old over the course of a couple months. Like there was the, yeah, all this weird... Yeah, she was like a super baby. Yeah. 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 This kind yeah. of weird mystical yeah. stuff. And... Renesmee of her time. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Yeah, okay. uh, In Denis Villeneuve's version, uh, Alia's not born. She's yeah. She stays unborn throughout the movie, but she still has like dialogue... Like she can, the the fetus can psychically connect with uh, her mother, Jessica. Yeah, because of, a, be, and that's not something normal in this universe. That's a thing. Some a plot point happens, and now that's possible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then we there's also like a, a brief flash forward where you see mm-hmm. Alia as an adult, mm-hmm. and it's it's only in one scene. So I think yeah. that was, might might be some sort I, of it feels like flash forward to, yeah. to Dune Messiah. Yeah. Uh, that's not a spoiler. It's just a little flash forward. Yeah. There's also a new character who's in the book, but plays a very minor role. A character named Margot, um, who is played by Leia Seydoux in this. Oh movie. yeah, 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 yeah. And okay. she is the one who uh, in, it plays a big role in introducing Fade Rautha, mm-hmm. the villain character played by Austin Butler in this movie. You may recall, um, even if you haven't seen uh, mm-hmm. David Lynch's Dune, you've probably seen the gifts of Sting. In David Lynch's Dune, <laughs> Sting played. Uh, he, he wears Fader like Alpha, a leather yeah. uh, speedo with wings on it. Uh, by the way, I, I like Austin Butler a lot as an actor. I've never missed Sting <laughs> until I saw Dune too, and I like. I think he's fine. I think I, he, I, it's a good version of the character. Right. It's fine. Sting, for whatever reason, was on his game, and he's not a good actor. Oh no, he's not. He, no, no, no. He would agree with you. Yeah, I think. he's not yeah. very good, but he was just well cast in Dune. <laughs> I will kill him! I will kill him! <laughs> uh, here's the thing. David Lynch's Dune had mm-hmm. the daring to be, like, psychedelic and gross. Yeah. And have, like, a lot of personality. Is it all exposition? Absolutely. Is, <laughs> does it make any sense? No. Yeah. Uh, and it really, really skims over the second yeah, half. And it's really hard to follow. You yeah. know, like, I, I, I agree all, with all of those things. Yeah. It's also aesthetically interesting, and I like the characters, and it's very weird, and I, I like all of that. I, I uh, love it to pieces. And, you know, when we reviewed Dune 1, mm-hmm. we talked a lot about the differences between uh, Denis Villeneuve's first Dune mm-hmm. and uh, David Lynch's Dune. And... The thing that I think, we, the conclusion I think we came to, and correct me if I'm wrong, if we, I think we both agreed on this, is that Denis Villeneuve was committed to taking the material very literally, mm-hmm. making it, like, comprehensible and clear. Yeah. And David Lynch didn't seem terribly interested in that, and he was <laughs> much more interested in the strangeness of the world, the the sort of headier, more bizarre ideas of it, the philosophies of it, and... I connect to the David Lynch version more. Yeah. I think as a result, because I'm more interested in these uh, bizarre concepts than I am in, especially considering that most of the David Lynch movie is the first Denis Villeneuve Dune. Dune. Yeah. It's like Denis Villeneuve's Dune is like the last act of David Lynch's. uh, Dune part two is the last act of David Lynch's Dune Uh, is my point. So that part feels rushed. I just, I don't, he doesn't seem to care about the plot. I don't care about the plot very much. <laughs> not not in a, that it's, case. It's not uh, particularly it's, interesting. So, uh, it's, it's okay. Uh, Dune Part 1, mm. uh, the, the Denis, Denis Villeneuve version, uh, like you said, it took everything very, very literally. It tried to make everything kind of clear for the audience because mm. this is a vast, complicated universe. The book has a glossary, for God's sake. Yeah. 
Uh, and, and I think he succeeds at that, to be fair. I think, and he, you know? he did do the wise thing in that he cast, like, recognizable celebrities in minor roles, mm-hmm. so you can kind of t- tell them apart a little you bit remember better. remember that yeah, that's... Like, oh, that's Jason yeah. Momoa, and yeah. that's... that's yeah. They're Dave not going to get lost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, his aesthetic, however, was very strangely uniform. Yeah. This is about, yeah. like, warring houses, and who live in these sort of, like world of regal opulence and everything felt so austere that it started to feel a little bit more like a music video yeah. than an actual feature film. I think there's, I think, I think there's that's slightly justified in the text. I rewatched it oh. before I saw Dune 2 just to make sure there wasn't anything specific that I forgot. And um, my take is largely the same. I liked, I think I liked it a little better than the, the second time, but um, I do think that's slightly justified though. I remember we, we critiqued that at the time and I remember thinking now like, oh wait, because when they go to Dune, when House Atreides goes mm-hmm. to Dune to take over you know, Planet Arrakis, they're not bringing all their stuff. They're moving into House Harkonnen's old house. Yeah. So it's all the Harkonnen aesthetic. That's, well, it, uh, but, and, and that's there, but fine. There, but there should be an aesthetic clash. Like uh, yeah. if, if House Atreides was really, uh, were a lot of color, yeah. and they go into the really stark black and white world of the Harkonnens it should stand apart you know do something no, with, say something with the aesthetic don't just have it no no we don't um, spend nearly enough time on the Atreides homeworld to get yeah. that impression when we do mm. it's got more dirt and water but like it really doesn't have its own vibe the yeah. way that the uh, Harkonnen plum planet does or Arrakis so, um, does in the first one uh, just to recap very quickly mm. uh, House Harkonnen was in charge of the planet Arrakis and Arrakis, they're very and, evil and they're incredibly evil uh, you, and they uh, they've been kicked out of their job by the Emperor mm-hmm. of the galaxy who uh, is unseen in the first movie but is now played and by Christopher Walken played by Christopher Walken in part two uh, and House Atreides a, a better kinder more mm-hmm. popular house mm-hmm. uh, is asked to take over in in their stead. It turns out, however, that the Emperor has been plotting with House Harkonnen and only gave uh, House Atreides Dune so that the House Harkonnen could charge in as soon as they settled in and murder them all. Yeah. And it was largely successful in the first movie and it ended with uh, Paul Atreides played by Timothy Chalamet mm-hmm. and his mother Jessica played by uh, Rebecca Ferguson running away from the destruction and running mm-hmm. out into the desert where they met up with the natives of Arrakis, a, a people called the Fremen. Yeah. Uh, the the big subplot there, yeah. though, is that Jessica, played by Rebecca Ferguson, is part of a religious order called the Bene Gesserit. Mm-hmm. And they, in addition to all of the political machinations, they have been manipulating the bloodlines of the royal families yeah. for, for 90 generations in an attempt to basically bring about the Messiah. And if they can't do that for real, they'll do it through propaganda. Mm-hmm. And b- when they land on Arrakis... The Bene Gesserit have already created this myth mm. of a messiah. Totally fictional. They made it up. And they made it so that it would apply to Paul Atreides. Yeah. So all of the people who were from planet Arrakis will look at Paul Atreides and go, oh, he's our Jesus. Yeah. Which is now, a lie. It, it, in, <clears throat> the, in, this, in the book, it's a little bit half and half. Like the Bene Gesserit have been doing this sort of like shady <clears throat> manipulation. Mm. But there's also a mystical element going on. There's psychic powers in Dune. There's uh, David Lynch, it's even more clear because he added an element. He added the weirding modules. People have yeah. like magical voices, which is something that's not from the book. 
my my name is a killing my name is a killing word. They like have these like things on their wrist and they can shout and that's like their weapon. Yeah. Um, that's that totally made up by David Lynch. That's not feels like something weird enough to be in Dune. To be fair, but they have like you know like high tech shields and spacecraft and it's all about this spice that expands consciousness and it allows you to there there's this weird kind of psychedelic element to Dune. Totally psychedelic. Denis Villeneuve has no interest in any of the mystical stuff in Dune Part Two, except where it um, connects to the plot. It's in there, to be fair. It, it's it's in it's in there, but his whole point actually is he's actually taking a lot of the shift away from that appealing uh, psychedelic element and turning it into political cynicism, yeah, uh, and religious cynicism about how this idea of a messiah is complete bullshit, and they're upfront about how it's complete bullshit, yeah. and how it's really been the Bene Gesserit this whole time mm-hmm. making up all of these stories, and I, so that's I, that's why this character, the Leia Sedu character, Margot, yeah. is now, her role is much bigger in this movie. Yeah. Uh, she's only in a few scenes, but she's significant now. I, th- I think it's Shawnee in this film. She's played by Zendaya, and she was played by Sean Young in the David Lynch version. Um, I think it's I think it's her who says, or maybe it's her friend. I can't remember the conversation. Um, if you want to control the people, tell them a messiah is coming, and then they'll just wait for their lives to get better. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not I mean, a bad line. It's a good line. It's a good yeah. line. Here's the issue: um, there, the Bene Gesserit are setting Paul up as this messiah. He doesn't believe it himself until he takes psychedelic worm juice. Yeah. Uh, they call it the water of life. And uh, then you start to think either he's willing to lead after that mm-hmm. or he starts to believe that he is kind of the Messiah. Uh, Possibly a little of both. Maybe a little of both. Yeah. It's never... Uh, apart from Chani's uh, protestations, Yeah. it's never said what evil will befall Arrakis if he's found out. Or if he becomes their messiah, like what? What's well, no, what's he, the negative that's going to become he, here? Because it seems he seems has visions. Me, he has visions. He has he visions. Looks he believes yeah. that he believes in this film uh-huh. that if he pursues this path to its natural conclusion and becomes the messiah of the mm-hmm. fremen, uh, that it will lead to a war and billions of people will die in his name. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of the movie, he's trying to avoid that. And it, but he, yeah, it's but fate. He's being pushed towards it in a very it's Greek fate. fashion. And he, but he has these visions, mm-hmm. but we don't see that in this movie. It's all set up for Dune Messiah. We get little, we get uh, little snippets, but yeah, I, I but suppose little, little so. Glimpses. But but as far as I can tell, he led an uprising. Yeah. He united mm. the Fremen. Evidently, there were a, like a bunch of different tribes. Mm. They went into the deep south to find the fundamentalists. They used that language in the movie <laughs> uh, and uh, stage an uprising against House Harkonnen, kill them, and get take their planet back. Everything works out for them. Like there's no there's no downside to what the Bene Gesserit are doing at the end of the day. Uh, well, this isn't the end of the day. Maybe Dune Messiah will get there. Mm. But for the Fremen, yeah, this is basically working out. Yeah. Um, again, I don't know where all the books go. Uh, this film in and of itself, I, I I found the originals, you know, sort of stark, sterile aesthetic to be uh, not very involving. And mm. I thought, well, the cast was fine. They were, a lot of them were just going through the motions. They were being set up and they were being knocked over like chess pieces. It felt like we were just trying to get to the point where Paul is in the desert. And then the movie ended. Yeah. <laughs> so That's it was, right when the film ended. So it's okay, but it it, it never it didn't really wow me. It doesn't impress me the way that people do. Oh, it's, no. it's, it's handsomely realized, but it's not my fit. Did you catch the uh, the actor who he had to have the knife fight with at the end of the first movie? 
Yes, and it's a, uh, it's, a, it's a uh, Babzolu Samakun from yeah. Star Trek: Strange New Worlds. Yes, yes, he so plays Doctor Mbenge. He's a yeah. he's a he's a Star Trek and a Dune. <clears throat> Makes me happy, just like Patrick Stewart. Yes. <laughs> anyway, um, so this movie, it's like okay, so we were just trying to get him out there, and this is the stuff that David Lynch skimmed <laughs> over. Like when you watch David Lynch's version, and you should, I think it's an interesting film, at least interesting. I think it's good, but at least interesting. Um, he has very little interest in all this shit. Yeah. Um, and this is really spreading it out. And it's more about the building of a fake messiah or possibly a real messiah. Your mileage might vary. It's about learning all of the things like how to ride a sandworm, how to live in the desert, all of this very, very avatar kind of uh, yeah, material. Yeah. This, this whole, like the white guy will come in and he'll learn how to do everything better than everyone else. Mm. Okay. Uh, look, look, to be fair, Dune was published in 1965. Oh, oh, oh I, it's a trope. It's yeah, a trope. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I am neither excusing it hmm. nor claiming it's unique. It's, it's a uh, thing and we should point it out and we're going to move on because also, that's a whole we're, we're referring to, you know, Timothy Chalamet or Kyle hmm. MacLachlan and David Lynch's version. These are white actors. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's anything in, uh, Frank Herbert's novel that says the Atreides are specifically white people. I couldn't say I haven't yeah. read it, um, but in any case, that's what that's what happens in the movies anyway. And he builds a revolution. There's a whole bunch of really cool action sequences, and there are they're really cool. Uh, and the plot kind of spirals in a much more interesting way because it feels like the original was just leading up to this tragedy at the end, and now everybody's doing their own shit. The Harkonnens are doing their own shit. They're backstabbing each other. They're having gladiator fights. Uh, they're fucking the Bene Gesserit. Uh, we're having uh, uh, Lady Jessica has become a religious figure all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. And she's like really falling into that really hard and embracing it. You've got uh, the, the, the Emperor and his daughter, played by Florence Pugh. Uh, and they're trying to manipulate the situation to come out on top. You've got uh, Javier Bardem uh, plays mm. a character who is a true believer in Paul, uh, and yet his own girlfriend is not, yeah. which is an interesting sort of triad. Um, there's so much more going on, and so much of it is not austere in the mm. way that the original was. That's true. And that lack um, of austerity makes it a lot more involving for me, and it makes it a more exciting watch. Uh, it's it's more it's a far more dynamic picture yeah. than the last one was i'm still not totally high on it yeah uh i think while it, it's a little bit more dynamic and there's a lot more conversation going on a lot a wider variety mm. of characters mm. sort of going off on their own stories more so salient kind of, themes yeah, yeah the themes are actually coming to to the fore there's a lot of really interesting ideas um i wish it were like humane <laughs> that these felt like people these still feel a little bit like avatars of people they feel they're, hmm. you know there's there's like one or two fremen characters supporting players hmm. who speak like human beings yeah everybody else is reciting yeah uh and it, like again the evil enough announcing his film's importance yeah and you know? so there's no set there's there's no scene in the movie where people are just sort of doing stuff mm. and we're getting kind of what their lives are like uh, from day to day. Everything is significant. Uh, everything's significant. Quotes. There's yeah, yeah, every scene has they're communicating something really important to you. And so everybody's very po-faced and very you know uh, just sort of wrapped up in sort of the importance of what they're saying. Po-faced? Yeah, never heard that term before. It means they're just very serious. Oh, okay. Like I like get growl and po. No, just P.O. Po-faced. Oh, okay. Like like a po-boy. <laughs> P.O. Okay. It's, 
The term has nothing to do with a po' boy. Okay. I do like sandwiches. Uh, but uh, if there had been some levity <laughs> or some humanity, that would have been nice. The action scenes are pretty cool. Uh, I, I appreciate their clarity. I like clarity in action scenes. <clears throat> yeah. But I, I did realize, you know, t- two hours into this two hour and 45 minute movie that I could follow it and I was really excited by the ideas in it, but I wasn't excited by the movie. I wasn't feeling yeah. any kind of thrill. Yeah. I was just sort of like capably able to put it together. And that's not the same as enjoying a movie. I'm just distracted by the etymology of po face, which apparently oh. comes from either uh-huh. uh, a shortened version of poker face. Okay. Uh, or perhaps having something to do with uh, uh, the French term for a chamber pot, which would be very stinky and make your face go neat. Oh, okay. um, so there you go. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I'm with you on this, I, I, but I liked it more than you, I think. And I think what, right. it, I think what it was is, uh, I, I, again, I, I agree that there is this general quality to these Dune films that, again, they're... They're big on, like, messages, they're big on allegory, and they're kind of light on uh, relatability, I think, in a lot of ways. And yet, I think their cynicism about their characters and their world, Mm. uh, about the kinds of uh, deception that go into both politics and religion, which are inextricably linked in this universe, and are, even if they are effective means of war or change uh, are not to be trusted. Hmm. And I and I can relate to that. Well, <laughs> it's a very I mean, cynical yeah. time politically in a lot of ways. And I think a, lo- a lot of us can connect to that. Um, but I, I agree. I think there is the general sense of um, just the world and like the way people live in it when they're not doing something important to the plot. Yeah. And I think for a movie this long to have so little of that, I'm not talking about humor, it could use maybe a little bit more of that, but like I, there's a there's a scene where Josh Brolin sings about piss, and I gotta tell you something. <laughs> nothing that thing. No, I don't think anything made me happier in this movie than seeing in that closing credits that Josh Brolin wrote those lyrics. I love it. All right. Yeah, nominate him for an Oscar, please. Uh, and, and, well, that, and that's another frustrating thing, you know. I've, Timothy Chalamet is a bit of a cipher. Uh, like he he has good movie star quality, but not a lot of personality of his own yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's quite but, good in this one, actually. But a lot of the uh, actors they've chosen do have a lot of personality. They're big, outsized yeah. actors. Christopher Walken plays the Emperor. Yeah. And he just sits and recites. Yeah, he's uh, kind of sleepwalking on this one. You yeah. get Florence Pugh. She can be very energetic. She just sits and recites. She's doing. Pl- she's uh, just talking about Rebecca plot. Ferguson is in like so awesome in like Mission Impossible. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't like Doctor Sleep, but I liked her character in Doctor Sleep. Sure, sure. Um, and she's sits and recites. It feels it's, like the Harkonnen family is the one that's allowed to enjoy their roles. Yeah, Stellan well, Skarsgård is really making not, a No, not even Stellan Skarsgård. I think he's kind of sleepwalking through that oh, stuff. No, they I think they put him in that makeup and then he just sort of like well, growls a lot. I will say I this. feel like Austin Butler is the only one who's kind of having fun because he gets to play a sadist. He does. And uh, Dave Bautista is having fun because he gets to play a coward. Yeah. And those are like at least re- like character traits. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, Everybody else is kind of just Stoic, and that's not good if that's all of your characters. I, th- I, I, again, I think this all contributes to this very um, heavy dramatic vibe that Denis Villeneuve yeah. is so good at uh, 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 sort of cultivating. Um, 
I, I, I like the performances more than you are, though. I think uh, Timothy Chalamet, very good actor, by the way. Uh, I think his most famous roles aren't necessarily the ones that are actually showing off his range. But um, I think he's doing a good job. You look at him in the original Dune, Denis Villeneuve's original Dune, and he's he's a cipher in that one. Mm. But in this one, he's actually he's trying to find his own path while he's being manipulated into a very particular path. And I think we, I think he does a good job of showing a character grow up and not necessarily into a good person. Yeah. And I think that's tricky because I think even David Lynch's version fell into this trap where just Paul is a hero's journey in the David Lynch version. And Mm -hmm. I think in this one, it's more complicated and I think he brings it out. I think Zendaya is really great in this. I think Mm -hmm. she's got a lot more personality than most of the other characters. Um, The Harkonnens, I'm not a fan excuse, of this version. Me, Har- Harkonnens. Uh, Harkonnens. They, I, they changed the pronunciation. And that's in so David annoying. Lynch's, it was Harkonnen. Yeah. In this one, they say Harkonnen. I don't know if I'm ever going to get used to that. It's mm. sort of like when I found out that, like, J.R.R. Tolkien wanted the dragon to be pronounced Smaug. Smaug, yeah. But in the animated version that oh, I it's, saw it's growing smog. up, it's yeah. a smog uh-huh. in the in the Rankin-Bass animated version, and that, I think, is the gold standard. Uh I'm never gonna. If you correct me, I'll try. Like, okay, fine, Smaug. <laughs> I will never default to that. That's just the one that's been burned into me, and I feel that way about Harsarkona. It just sounds better to me, but maybe it's not the way it was intended. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not trying to get it wrong. Um, but the Harkonnen, 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 Harkonnen. You're Harkonnen back to the, the movie. Uh, I don't particularly think they really nailed them in here. And this is something that I think the David Lynch version definitely does better. I think that the the House Harkonnen... I'm just going to say it. Mm. Um, here they are shallow, cultureless assholes. Mm. Their world is literally in black and white. Yeah. They have no nothing that they care about other than really money. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, in... in David Lynch's version, they were hedonists. Yeah. They they lived in excess. They didn't just want the money. Mm-hmm. They would want the money so they could do all the crazy fucked up shit they ever yeah, wanted like, to uh, do. They're, in, ta- they're using it for things. It, in David Lynch's version, uh, Baron mm-hmm. Vladimir Harkonnen is a revolting figure. One of the most disgusting characters in movie history. We're introduced to the character where he's like in some sort of like salon and these doctors who are like eyes are sewn shut are using these tools to like siphon black pus out of pustules on his face. Yeah. And like collect it in a jar. Yeah. And, and, and he's like spitting, he throws the spice and then he like flunks up to the ceiling, turns a little knob and like black glop pours onto his face like yeah and he and he loves it like this is their world of like, excess like like he, um, the harkonnens in the david lynch version were caligula yeah, yeah yeah and and in fact there's a scene in the movie in david lynch's movie yeah. where um the baron says you know br- bring in my sex object and they push in this like young innocent looking boy and they've all been installed with heart plugs yeah that's and and uh, with like a little handle on it and you pull it out and they just bleed out they bleed to death yeah and that's that's like his kink wants yeah. to like bring these guys in and kind of grope at them and then kill them by pulling out their heart plugs so like, very evil so is my point e- e- evil uh, and gross in a memorable kind of way in this one first of all uh they made the baron straight um mm. 
Pretty straight, ba- yeah. Baron's gay in the book. Baron's gay in David Lynch's version. Baron's mm. straight in this version. I always, I, I wasn't I, sure I th- if he was gay or just omnisexual. I think but maybe yeah. he's more omnisexual. Yeah. But yeah, they in in the book they talk a lot about you, know, you knew I was going to touch the boy on his thigh, and that's where you hid the poison, and I knew that was gonna happen, like that kind of thing. Yeah. In, in the book, they which they admittedly is they tried to implant trope, like a, yeah. a poison needle in the thigh of like a boy they were gonna feed to him, and yeah, uh, that that was a plot point in the book. Yeah. Um, I can appreciate. Uh, so, I can appreciate not wanting to demonize queerness. Yeah, well, I'm, granted, I'm, I'm, sh- you know? I'm sure. I'm, you know, I'm, rather that's unfortunately, a tight block, yeah. I think Frank Herbert was demonizing queerness. I think yeah. he was just casually homophobic in the way people yeah. were in the mid '60s. But they don't replace um, that with anything. No, and, and, and fact, like, all he is is just very fat. He, he's, he's he's very fat. He's very fat, and he that's does it. he does have like concubines that he murders, but we never see it on screen. No, it's all off screen. It's yeah. like we hear some people scream and they kind of come in. He's like already sitting in his hot tub and they're dead off to the side. And that's a shocking image, but we don't get a sense of like the kind of gross enjoyment that these monsters yeah. are taking from it. So they don't come across as particularly monstrous. We, no, we're it's we're an, assured in dialogue a lot. It's that an they uninteresting are. version of yeah. cartoonish evil. Yeah, yeah. And I think David Lynch's version was an interesting version of cartoonish evil. And it was... I think more of, I think the Denis Villeneuve's version of the House Harkonnen is um, uh, basically, here are these evil capitalists, they have lost all sense of morality. Yeah. And David Lynch's version was, here are these evil capitalists, not only have they lost all sense of morality, but they're now actively immoral, because there's no consequence for it. Mm. And it's... that I think is more evil. <laughs> I think that's more interesting. So that's like the one thing I actively miss. I think from yeah. David Lynch's version, other than a general sense of sort of philosophical or ethereal uh, uh, psychedelia. But um, but generally speaking, I, I will say this. I saw this. I saw this in a the- theater. I had this in the front row of the theater, packed house. I hadn't had this in the front row because of oh, packed wow, okay. house since the Blair Witch Project. Oh wow! Okay, uh, that's how long it's been. And you know what? Hell of a presentation, man. Saw it in 70 millimeter. That was <laughs> oh, cool. Oh, wow, okay. It was very, very pretty. Uh, you know, again, we, we talk about Denis Villeneuve's style, and I think sometimes it's wonderfully applied. The uh, Arrival is great. Arrival is a fantastic I like Arrival, picture. yeah. I, and I really, really like uh, his Blade Runner. I know you don't, but I think it's really quite fantastic. Um, problematic in some ways, but generally speaking, one hell of a production. Um, I think Denis Villeneuve... More so, even I would argue, than uh, Christopher Nolan really knows how to paint an epic frame. Like mm-hmm. he, you know, what he does that I think so few filmmakers do now. He puts height in mm. his frame. A lot of like small characters at the bottom of the frame against larger canvases, okay. in a way that gives it this much more David Lean kind of gigantic epicness yeah uh and when you look at the way that like hollywood epics tried to sell uh uh, lavishness before they had widescreen they were using height yeah look at uh, the the marlon brando version of julius caesar it's a really good version of this Mm. where they just they pile the characters like high on top of each other and huge pillars 
I think height is something that a lot of filmmakers kind of gave up on when they got when widescreen became the mm. norm, and it's nice to see a filmmaker playing with that and getting so much out of it. This really does feel genuinely huge in a way very few movies do. Uh, that, that's true, and um, even though I'm sure sh- uh, a lot of it was perhaps. Uh, computer generated, but a lot of those were actual sets and they actually went out to a desert and filmed out an actual, I think they filmed it in Jordan. Um, so we actually get some real landscapes. You do understand filmmakers that the whole point of widescreen isn't just necessarily a matter of aesthetics, although that's important. Um, you got a big widescreen. What's a big wide thing? The fucking horizon. Just, yeah. If the horizon's at the bottom... Uh, <laughs> I was waiting for you yeah. <laughs> It's interesting. The best part of that movie. One um, of the best scenes in Steven Spielberg's career. Uh, yeah, I wish really, he was in a better yeah. movie, but by God, that's a great and, scene. And, and it goes back around to David Lynch. It does! Because yeah. <laughs> that was David Lynch. It all works out. It's David Lynch telling Denis Villeneuve how to film his Dune yeah. movies, basically. <laughs> that the, scene. the problem is, the horizon was in the middle too much. It's boring as shit. Um, no, De- Denis Villeneuve, he does... He, he is good at his aesthetics. Yeah. Um, there was a lot about sort of the way he dressed the Fremen, a lot about the costume design that I really liked. I, I liked uh, that when they go out under the sun of Giddy Prime, it does turn into a black and white movie. There, there's some fun, interesting things to, to look at. Sure. A nice costume big expansive cool. story. Yeah. Uh, a, a really complicated political plot that you're actually kind of able to follow, mm-hmm. provided you're like us and have seen other versions of Dune and have a kinda lot of helps. primers on the story. kind of helps, yeah. Uh, you see a lot of uh, um, articles online, like, how explain the ending of a movie, but it's always like, explain the ending of Jaws. It's yeah. like, well, that's pretty clear. You don't need an explanation. I saw one uh, the other day where it's like, this is the true story behind Napoleon. And I'm like... Uh, it's a historical movie. It's Look, just it's history. It's, it's not what for people like us in our forties who have read books. That's uh, try to think of it as like a thirteen-year-old finding that for the first time. I understand and, that. And At the same time, you know, I feel like some of these are well, still kind of condescending. They, they are, and I have to write a lot of these. I, yeah. I wrote an, an ending explain article for Slash Film for Readers of the Lost Ark. Unambiguous film. It's it's yeah, straightforward, straightforward story. Yeah. You understand everything that's going on to that, um, but. You know, when when I'm writing an article like that, it's like, well, what's what's going on in that movie? It's a Jewish filmmaker using yeah. a real life Jewish relic to murder Nazis. Yeah. Let's here's what the Ark of the Covenant actually represents. Here's yeah. how Spielberg was u- wielding it. Here's what it means that the Gentiles hid it. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 basically what you're yeah. doing is the Cliff's Notes. More or less, yeah, yeah kind of you know, like, like a, a little bit of a more, a more broad interpretation yeah. rather than just explaining what the plot is. For Dune, you need an explainer of the plot it because the plot's actually yeah. pretty complicated. I only got um, lost once, and thank God that they clarified what I was confused about later. It's a big plot point, I'm not going to run it, but um, there was one point where something is revealed, uh-huh. and it's like, oh, is this actually blank? And I'm like, is it? Wait, who's the thing? Is it you? Is it them? Is it? And then later on, they make it very clear in dialogue. And I'm like, okay, thank you. That was the one thing that was bugging me. The one thing that I think I think it wasn't a plot point of the David Lynch version at all. I was just completely well, baffled by can, it. Can you say No, no, it's, okay. it's too it's, there, there aren't a lot of, like, big plot revelations that aren't kind of just set in motion by the first film. And this is, like, one of them. So I'm not going to, like... I'm not going to spoil anything just by even hinting at it. But basically, some, something is revealed, and I was a little unclear who it referred to. And, oh, okay. Um, but by the end, I was I got it. So it, you got me back. I, um, thank you. 
I guess. Uh, but anyway, Dune 2. Um, I think it's better than the first one. It's I, definitely better than the first yeah. one. Um, I, I like the the big complicated story. I like that he was able to, as a filmmaker, Denis Villeneuve, uh, kind of just wrap his mind around Herbert's weird psychedelic story. Um, I, I wish he had made it a psychedelic movie. Mm-hmm. I wish he had... Uh, made it a little bit more of uh, uh, just give it some personality rather than just sort of All, what he did ra- was make put, it accessible. He made and it. Maybe, under, yeah. and I think maybe he stopped there. He, he made it understandable and that was his goal and he mm. did it, but I wanted more than mere understandable. I wanted a lot of more personality out of it. Yeah. Uh, that's it. Yeah. All right. Uh, we got one more movie reviewing this week and I wasn't able to see it, unfortunately mm. for reasons that were out of my control and I'm not happy about it. But anyway, mm. um, tell me about driveway dolls. Uh, Driveaway Dolls is the latest film from Ethan Cohen, but not Joel Cohen. Yes. Joel and Ethan have decided that they just didn't really want to make movies together anymore. I don't. I, don't I think they're, they're coming back. Actually, they, they might be coming back, but yeah. they, 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 they decided they, to take a break. They're taking a break least. from each other, and they made a lot of really wonderful movies together. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now Joel Cohen mm-hmm. uh, twisted off, and he made the Tragedy of Macbeth. He made a Shakespeare movie, which is very good, which I like a lot. Very um, good movie. Denzel Washington plays <laughs> Macbeth. Yeah completely against type yeah because denzel washington usually plays very uh not necessarily heroic but very resolute characters very capable people yeah, yeah. uh some, sometimes they're villainous but they're capable yeah uh macbeth is a coward yeah and i like that d- they cast someone like denzel washington to play this kind of sniveling character yeah uh, and, and he's good at that too no he embraces that he's awesome in that movie yeah. um and then so we learned that and that's a very bleak nihilistic text about yeah. how you know how ambition is what idiots do when they can't think of anything else <laughs> it's pretty and, good uh, actually and, you, should, you and, should write an explainer for macbeth <laughs> because that hasn't been done before <laughs> nobody's ever written an essay on macbeth um and so we i think we understood that there's this kind of bleak nihilism that undergirds a lot of the coen brothers work uh, these sort of it's kind of like these pathetic characters who can't quite get they're, they're, get their hands on they're the situation. trapped in a world that either doesn't care about them or doesn't respond to them or or yeah. responds to them negatively like yeah. like the world oh, is actively trying to kill them. like a, in a serious man I mean, yeah, is the best yeah. example of this but yeah like everyone's yeah, everyone's same. trapped in like just machinations completely beyond their control but also a big part of uh, the Cohen brothers is this very I, I, it's an overused word, but quirky sense of humor. Yeah. Uh, a, a little, these sort of like weird self-aware moments where they, they kind of get to look at themselves, be a little self-deprecating, have a little bit of personality, be themselves, and humor comes out of that. The humor is, is where, mm. it seems, Ethan comes in because Driveaway Dolls is a lot of big, chatty characters being funny. Okay. Um, this is a crime caper. Uh, okay. Ethan Cohen wrote it with his wife, mm. uh, Trisha Cook. Mm-hmm. They have a weird relationship um, well, because they've been married for many years. They have a child together. He has a girlfriend. She has a girlfriend. Yeah. She's come they're, out as a lesbian, but they're still married. Yeah, they're, they're, they're polyamorous. It's yeah. fine. Good um, uh, and, and she was their editor for many years. She was their well, editor yeah. for many years. And yeah. uh, they've been... Ethan uh, has been wanting to write this screenplay with his wife for years, and and they originally called it uh, Drive Away Dykes. They couldn't get away with that title. That, yeah. They can't, can't put that on a marquee. Yeah, we're uh, not there yet. 
man. Uh, no, we're we're, yeah, we're not there. Sense. Maybe you could have gotten away with this in like a little tiny indie theater in like 1993. If this was a Sundance but, yeah. movie that kind of came out of nowhere. You might have been able yeah, to, like, to I mean, get away with that. Maybe put an asterisk. Yeah. In the it's like, it's like, like when, you know? when Greg Araki made a movie that was called Totally Fucked Up. Like, that was the title of the movie. Yeah. You could play that in a festival. Yeah. It's not not going to make it yeah. uh, these days. Yeah. Uh, but it stars uh, Margaret Qualley mm-hmm. as a, a cartoon character. She uh, she speaks like Foghorn Leghorn. She has this really broad <laughs> Texan accent. Okay. And... Uh, she is like the most lascivious lesbian I've seen in movies. Just she uh, is constantly talking about how badly she wants to fuck other girls. She constantly is fucking other girls. Yeah. And this, of course, angers her girlfriend, who's played by Beanie Feldstein. Uh, and she gets thrown out of her apartment. She ends up crashing with her best friend, uh, who's a character named Marion, played by Geraldine Viswanathan, who is yeah. uh, who is in Blockers. Uh, Blockers. She's, she's and we, excellent. We were totally taken aback by her in Blockers. Yeah, what a, she, she, what that a was a star. Making, yeah, it was a star making role. It's been taking too long to her to get another big role. Yeah. So, uh, and she's great in this as well. Uh, and she's like very straight laced. She's very. Uh, uh, kind of bitter from a breakup she had like years ago and hasn't dated anybody since. And she finds a lot of comfort in reading Henry James novels. Huh. Um, like movie, you do. Yeah. The movie is set in 1999, I believe. Okay. Uh, and, and it feels like it came out of that time uh, in that it's trying to get a lot of humor and a lot of shock from uh mm. From queerness, mm. from a lot of talk about dildos, from images of women kissing. Remember when women kissing wasn't that common on TV? And it was really <laughs> shocking when it happened. Like, they, they would, advertised it on they TV. They would tell you a week in advance, yeah. next time on Ally McBeal, yeah. two of the lady characters are going to kiss. Mm. Really briefly, at the very end of the episode, to force you to watch the entire thing. And it won't mean anything at all. Sometimes it did. Sometimes Roseanne, for example. Roseanne, it did. There was a, a, a yeah. my so-called life. There was yeah. there a kiss between two women. Deep Space Nine. There was a kiss between two women, but they always made a big deal of it, even on Deep yeah. Space Nine. It really like undercut a, like any sort of progressiveness yeah. because it's like because we're going to turn it into a sideshow. Yeah, basically, yeah. Um, it was the vibe. Uh, <clears throat> but here's here's the thing. I knew um, at least certain queer filmmakers, kind of have a little bit of nostalgia for that. John Waters has gone on record about this sort of thing. Mm. He said he misses the days when being queer was enough to shock the squares. Because he could just sort of walk out onto a stage and say, hey, I'm queer, I'm going to kiss my boyfriend, and monocles would pop up. And, <laughs> and, and that was the reaction he wanted. He wanted yeah. to shock the that's, squares. That's why we don't have any monocles anymore. There was there was yeah. so much, so many people, the money were popping off and breaking, and we, lo- <laughs> we lost all our monocles. That, that was a, a when was the last time we saw a monocle in the wild? It's I, I have seen them, but it's no, been a no, while. It's been, yeah, right. Uh, that was a plot point in Multiple Maniacs, the John Waters movie. Uh, it's like, hey, squares of Baltimore come into this shocking tent, and there's real homosexuals in there, and there's two men. It's just two men kissing. Yeah, but you know that's that's not something you'd see in film in the 1970s. So it's really shocking to uh, the, the mainstream weirdos. Drive Away Dolls still thinks a lot of that stuff is like shocking. It's trying to mine a lot of humor from just being very frank about queer sexuality. The problem is, it's 2024. People don't really care anymore. Uh, seeing seeing Some two, seeing do, two women yeah. kiss on camera is—it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. 
characters are kissing. Yeah. Uh, uh, so it, it's it's not going to be quite as edgy as it seems to think it is. Right. That said, it's really wacky, and I like that. Mm. Uh, the plot is um, not as complicated as you might think. Um, so after um, the Jamie and the Marion characters uh, are sort of forced into living together, they decide to uh, move to Tallahassee. To, and I think they're in Pennsylvania. So they're going to drive south in what they call a drive-away. Mm. That is, somebody you drive someone else's car to the destination, and that also offers you a free, like a trip that you get paid for. Yeah. That's uh, the same plot as the Hitcher as well. Yeah, That's yeah. how it starts as well, yeah. And, and I've done that. I've actually you oh. know, done a drive-away. Interesting. But uh, wouldn't you know it, there's something in the trunk, kind of like in Repo Man, that they don't know about, that some criminals have hidden there. The car was supposed to be safe for some criminals. There was some mix-up at the drive-away office, and they took that instead. Okay. And there's something mysterious in the trunk, and now some criminals are after them to get it back. Okay. Uh, we know it has something to do with Pedro Pascal, who we see in an opening scene clinging a suitcase to his chest, and we know he dies. So he's only in that first scene. Aw. Sorry. I like Pedro Pascal. Pedro Pascal, yeah. And there's some other fun cameos as well. Matt Damon has a really notable cameo near the yeah. end. He plays this like really right-wing politician that gets involved in all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, oh, Coleman Domingo plays one of the head the head uh, criminal who's after them. He's up for an Academy Award right now. Yep. Uh, and uh, Miley Cyrus hey! ha- has a cameo in flashbacks to the 1960s huh. where she plays a character named, uh, I think her name is Sylvia Plastercaster, who's based on a real person. Uh, which this is pretty wild that you, you look up this person, uh, Sylvia Plastercaster, and she would famously take plaster casts of famous men's penises huh. and just sort of have them around. So it's so, that, it's, so that was her hobby. Well, it's a good thing. She was born with that name. I really um, added up. Excuse me. In the movie, it's Tiffany Plastercaster. Oh, well that's very different. Um, but there is a real, uh, Plastercaster character mm-hmm. who wasn't named Tiffany. Let me look up her real name here. Yeah. Of the of the of the main plaster casters. Cynthia Plastercaster Cynthia. was the real one. Got it. Uh, and and she passed away last year. But yeah, oh, she, she has. Uh, you can probably see her uh, her art in, in certain okay. museums. Uh, it it's a wacky road trip from there. Uh, mm. There's a lot of uh, a lot of sides, a lot of weird sort of wacky adventures. Where are we going to stay tonight? Hey, I found this. Uh, volleyball team there and we're just going to make out with all of them and stay the night and right <clears throat> margaret qualley's really gung-ho about the sexuality uh geraldine viswanathan is not she's like really kind of straight laced and they realize through this adventure that they're growing closer and they may be falling in love oh that's kind of uh, nice it's it's pretty sweet it's really high energy mm. um it it's rambunctious in a way i miss um i was reminded a lot of jamie babbitt's but i'm a cheerleader in mm. terms of like it's bright queerness i love that movie it's really good that movie's it's, great. it's really good yeah it's super low budget but yeah. so good oh, uh, yeah. just darling um yeah mm-hmm. well okay it, it, it fair has, enough i can't contribute i didn't see yeah, it so. I, I can see how some people might find it a little obnoxious especially margaret qualley's character she's just mm. such a chatterbox she goes on and on uh if you don't think she's funny in the first couple of minutes She's not going to grow on here. She's going to get really more, more and more grating as she goes on. I, I found her, the character to be kind of delightful, but I could see how she uh, mm. might be a little bit much for certain audiences. Uh, it's light in a way that's not necessarily um, mm. very realistic. If it's set in the late 90s, 
there's a scene where uh, a young lesbian is walking down the street in like a really conservative southern town and she's stopped by the cops. Mm. And here in 2024, we're thinking this is going to get really dark. And it doesn't. Huh. Uh, mercifully. She, yeah, thank God. She mm. spends the night in the pokey, but that's it. Mm. And she only spends the night in the pokey for like mouthing off at the cop and swearing at him a little bit. Uh-huh. Uh, luckily, there's no violence. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that, that, Ethan Cohen's not interested in making this a violent story. They're right. interested in telling a a, a, a light queer romp. Uh, <laughs> I wrote a review of it and I called it a it's it's a hand grenade shaped squeak toy. Uh, <laughs> like it, it thinks it's really threatening, but really it's it's something kind of light and whimsical. Um, yeah, and I like like queer whimsy, so yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's my understanding that Trisha Cook. Um, was practically a co-director on this uh, as well. It's, yeah. yeah, that's that's the, that's she's the not cre- she's only credited as a writer, but yeah. <clears throat> yeah, well, for many years only Joel Cohen was credited as a director of the Cohen Brothers movies that's as well. True. So I'm not sure there, that a lot of that is DGA shit that has nothing to do with yeah. the actual uh, quality of it. But um, in any case, um, okay, so let's uh, let's do our uh, review roundup here. We're gonna uh, review these movies on the Great Looking yeah. Scale, and then we'll do our Oscar. Predictions. Uh, we review movies on a scale of oh, C minus to sorry. C plus. Please don't do that. I kicked the table. Sorry about that. Uh, we review movies on a scale of C minus to C plus. Uh, a C is an average movie. It's okay. Uh, C minus is below average. Oh. Anything below average, anything we don't recommend, whether we only kind of don't like it or actively hate it, uh, that's a C minus. And then a C plus is anything that's above average, hmm. whether we uh, just quite like it or think it's the best thing ever. On that note, Whitney, mm. Drive Away Dolls. Drive Away Dolls is a, a, a high C, uh, okay. al- almost a C plus. It's it's really really energetic and enjoyable. I was watching it and thinking, like, we're, movies are good again. Like we yeah. we don't have to struggle through movies anymore. <laughs> we can we can be light and strange. Like light strange movies are back, and yeah. uh, I've really enjoyed it. So a high C. It's not not a new classic, but I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, as for Dune Part Two, I'm struggling to remember what I gave Denis Villeneuve's first Dune. I want to say I gave it a C, but if I was having a rough time, I might have veered into C minus territory. I think I gave it a C. Uh, this one I'm going to give a C plus. Well, right. it does still have some of the issues that the first film did. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it compensates for them with a more exciting plot, a uh, uh, a more actually actively explored set of themes would have been nice if they'd gone even further, but at least they have more things to say and they explore them in some multiple angles and details. Um, and I think it's just a more handsome production. I was not bored mm. at all watching this nearly three hour movie. I was genuinely swept up in it, even though I was thinking at the time, this can be better, <laughs> but I still really dug it. So yeah. I'm going to give it a C plus you. All right. uh, I'm going to give it a completely dispassionate C. Uh, aesthetically capable, well-told, not terribly interesting movie. Uh, Can't fight you on that. Yeah, no, fair yeah. enough. All right. Well, that is that for movie reviews. And now we're going to do our Oscar predictions. Uh, uh, we used to have a wager on this. And then, uh, and then we grew up. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a friendly wager. It's basically, hey, who can guess the most right? That's it. Hmm. mild bragging rights for a minute and then we move on with our well, lives. I think we we, um, we ran into a snag with our bets because I remember uh, about a decade ago at this point yeah. uh, we made an Oscar bet. I lost yeah. and uh, the loser of the, lo- the Oscar bet had to do 
a commentary track of the Razzie winner, the Ra- the Razzie winner, or or at least one of the Razzie nominees. Yeah, and I lost one year, and I had to do a commentary track for the film I Frankenstein. Oh yeah, uh, and we did a commentary track for I Frankenstein yeah. back in the B Movies podcast days. Yeah, and that required both of us to sit and watch I Frankenstein. <laughs> so. We both kind of lost that one, yeah. and it wasn't wasn't terribly fun to do. No, so yeah, no. So again, this is just for fun, uh, and uh, it's good to talk about these movies. So uh, we got one more week uh, until the oh, a little less now, uh, less than a week until the Oscars, and then we can stop talking about many of these movies. <laughs> some of them will keep coming up because they're genuinely great, and some of them keep coming up because they're in the Oscar conversation. And I'm mm. looking forward to being able to move on with their lives and see if they actually do fade away. Usually, uh, a lot of them do. A lot of them do. Uh, we're. It's frustrating uh, at awards season because a lot of uh, great movies, sometimes my favorite movies of the year, mm-hmm. are nominated for a lot of awards. Mm-hmm. And it becomes so predictable after a while. Mm-hmm. You kind of roll your eyes when you hear one of your favorite movies mentioned again. Mm-hmm. It's like, I love that movie, but it's just, so what? It's just going to win another award. Or it's not, yeah. and it's just going to keep being nominated, and you know it's not going to yeah. win. Because a lot the, uh, of these things feel like foregone conclusions. The one that's really getting me this year is American Fiction, which is a movie I didn't like. Mm-hmm. And it's in the awards conversation, because it feels like it should be. It's not a good movie. Mm-hmm. It's not. Well, but I liked it more than you, but yeah. I like, I like the acting in it a lot. The acting but I, in it I, is I think great. the writing is very weak. I think it's movie. undone by its ending. I think if yeah, it, I think yeah. a stronger ending would have really made that movie. Uh, all the things that it was setting up, it doesn't quite knock them down at the end. I think yeah. it kind of falls into a bit cleverness and a bit of a joke when it really yeah, could have yeah. done something. Uh, and I, I find that frustrating, but I don't think it's a bad movie. Um, we're gonna do this. We're gonna do this in. Uh, I, I normally print out a thing. I didn't. Uh, we're gonna do this in reverse order of how the uh, Oscar nominations are listed on the Wikipedia page. Okay. So we're gonna start with best visual effects. The nominees for best visual effects are The Creator, Godzilla minus one, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One, and Napoleon. Whitney, what do you hmm. think should win if you were voting? What would yeah. you vote for? And what do you think will win? Um, I think Godzilla should win. Mm. I think it's pretty well known that they got a lot done with a very a lower budget. It's one of the first Godzilla movies uh, in many... I guess when you, when you compare this Godzilla movie to something like Godzilla King of the Monsters, the American film, right? Uh, you can see Godzilla in every shot. <laughs> Godzilla right up front and Godzilla is a CGI creation but they use the CGI well and they stage yeah. the CGI well mm-hmm. and even though they're working on a budget they're they know exactly how to employ it. It's yeah. about use of special effects. Yeah. Um but you you don't think uh, it's going to win. I don't think it's going to win. What do you think is going to win? I think the creator is going to win. Okay. Uh and the creator I think is just as impressive looking visually as something like Dune in terms of its uh just its visuals the mm-hmm. way they made robots look very real all of the uh, uh big strange designs on their gigantic landscapes that look really striking and original if you've never seen any anime whatsoever um yeah and that too was also done on a bit of a budget yeah. i think things like napoleon and mission impossible and guardians of the galaxy those are the big studio ones mm-hmm. they have the most special effects sure but they don't necessarily have the best special effects. that's the thing and i think this is one of the few categories in which the academy 
actually tries to pick the classiest option, not necessarily the most in your face. Uh-huh. Um, you these recall, are all action pictures. Well, they are all action pictures. Well, no, Napoleon, no, Napoleon. I mean, mm-hmm. to a lesser extent, it's a war movie. But um, you know, the, when they can, they'll vote for what dreams may come. When they can, they'll vote for. Uh, Ex Machina, even though it's this low-budget thing and it was up against these giant blockbuster uh, mm-hmm. spectacles. My theory is that the Academy, whenever possible, in this category, will vote for the movie that was most likely to have been nominated for Best Picture, or was, as oh, is okay. sometimes the case, like when Hugo won. Oh, there you go. Um, so here, I think there's Ooh, a couple... That's, th- that's actually a good point. Uh, so here, I think the two films that actually fit that are Godzilla minus one and Napoleon. And Napoleon mm. has no heat behind it. No. It's it's got some token nominations because it's an epic and it's a, the epic stuff is good. The costume design is good. All of that is impressive, but nobody's talking about it. So while I think the creator has a shot, I think it might even be a 50-50, I'm actually saying that Godzilla minus one will win. Okay. And it should win. Uh, I think it's a movie that a lot of people were talking about. I know some people were disappointed it didn't get into the best picture conversation. There there was this late last minute surge for it and i think that the distributors didn't realize how good it was and they didn't do like an ad campaign for it really just to raise awareness and send out screeners and such so it's kind of the little movie that could even though it's a godzilla movie um but i think i you you can't watch it and not love it i don't know anyone who didn't at least like it a lot uh, and I think this is the only opportunity they have to award that. And I also think in a, in a conversation that we're having right now about, you know, unions and the way that visual effects artists are badly treated mm-hmm. uh, in this industry. And, and to be fair, the reason why Godzilla Minus One was able to be done on a budget was for similar reasons in Japan. But shirking or, or, or rejecting the, the studio system and the way they do things uh, might be a message to send. Okay. I think some people might see it that way. So I'm going to say Godzilla minus one will and should. Uh, next up, best film editing, uh, the, aka best picture. <laughs> often uh, the nominees are Anatomy of a Fall, The Holdovers, Killers of the Flower Moon, Oppenheimer, and Poor Things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is there's this general vibe that Oppenheimer is going to sweep it and I think it's probably going to win most of the categories it's nominated for mm. but I do think that there are certain films that are such a standout in their category that I think Oppenheimer will lose a few All right. uh, this is one where it might Christopher Nolan movies tend to really have complicated ambitious editing so it's probably going to win this and I'm saying that it will yeah the film that I think should and the film that I think could, like this this would be a mild surprise, but I wouldn't be shocked, is Anatomy of a Fall. Mm. Another film that uses uh, a, a really rich editing structure in order to not just, uh, you know, convey a murder mystery and all of its wonderful flashbacky goodness, uh, but to also keep that mystery alive in really tangible ways and unexpected ways to keep a sense of ambiguity strong in what is otherwise... Uh, a pretty you know straightforward courtroom thriller yeah. in a lot of ways. I think the editing of that movie is one of the reasons why it works so well, and I think mm-hmm. it's not. Su- I think you know the holdovers being nominated here. It's a well edited movie, but nothing about the editing really makes it seem like oh they should get an award for how well yeah. that edited yeah. is. You know, like and here I think there's there's two Oppenheimer and Anatomy of the Fall. I'm predicting Oppenheimer. I would vote for Anatomy of the Fall. Uh, I I predict Oppenheimer as well. Yeah. Um, just it it it's. 
A, I think it's, I mean, just, just let's get ahead of ourselves a little bit. It is the shoe-in for Best Picture. It, it, the odds are that it's... Yeah, we'll talk about that. Um, we'll yeah. But we'll get, yeah, we'll get to that one. Um, I I think who should win, the person I would vote for, is Thelma Schoonmaker again. Yeah. Um, just because uh, she, she's one of, like, the most nominated editors, I think, in Academy mm-hmm. history, and uh, at least in recent years. You look, and she works with Scorsese most of the time. Yeah. I look at something, and she was nominated for The Irishman as well. Mm-hmm. And I don't think she should have been nominated for The Irishman because there was a lot you kind of shaved down in The Irishman. The Irishman feels I don't, longer than it needs I, I to don't, be. I don't need you, to you see feel them the length drive back yeah. and forth to that house four times, you know? Yeah. Um, However, Killers of the Flower Moon mm-hmm. is it's three hours and forty five minutes and it's tight. It somehow feels like feels like very, ev- very everything exciting. kind yeah. of builds yeah. on everything and we kind of like get to feel uh, this gradual sink when this really pathetic character just gets tangled deep more deeply and deeply into his web of crime. Yeah. It's really well put together. Oh yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, I, I'd be very happy if it was. It's won. my favorite it was my favorite movie of, of the year. So um yeah. I think yeah, that one it, that one should win, but I think I'll put yeah. well. I I would be very pleased. Or, or Je- Jennifer Lame, I should say, or maybe it's Lamay. Yeah. Um uh, Oppenheimer. Who, who edited Oppenheimer. Yeah. She's gonna win. Yeah, yeah. I I agree. I think Oppenheimer's more or less a shoe in. I think Anatomy of a Fall has a chance. If Killers of the Flower Moon wins, I'll be surprised, but happily so. That's a yeah. nice kind of surprise. It's always nice when it's not a foregone conclusion. Mm-hmm. All right, the next category is Best Costume Design. Uh, the nominees are Barbie, Killers of the Flower Moon, Napoleon, Oppenheimer, and Poor Things. Whitney, mm. will and should. Um, poor Things should win, mm-hmm. just because I like weird costumes, and that's mm-hmm. like this weird steampunk universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, the aesthetic is odd in Poor Things. Very I appreciate odd. that they tried to do something kind of unique. Um, Barbie will win. Huh. Uh, I, I think um, they they recreated Barbie costumes on people. That was that's no small feat. No, it's not. I think it's a hell of an yeah. achievement. And and uh, I forgot the actual name of it, but there's a name for the Barbie pink. Yeah, like that oh, yeah. very very unique shade of pink. And I know a lot of that has to do with production design and photography as well. Mm-hmm. But getting those clothes on those people and making them look like Barbie dolls but also clothes. Making them look like they're you yeah, really wear that. I, shit. I think yeah. was was really uh really an impressive feat. It's one of the reasons people like the movie is because you know the outfits are a big are a big part of it. Yeah. Uh, so I think Barbie will actually win this one. Uh I I'm the I'm flipping it actually. I think oh. Barbie should win for all the reasons you just said. Okay. But the thing that's gotten me in trouble when I try to predict the Oscars is giving the Academy too much credit. <laughs> uh, and so I'm, I'm going to try... There's a few categories where I might be going outside the... the going against the grain, but mm-hmm. I'm going to be kind of... My sense of playing it safe. Costume design? It's very rare that a contemporarily set film wins costume design. Barbie mm-hmm. is very fanciful, so it might be the exception. I yeah. won't be shocked if it wins. But generally speaking, they tend to gravitate towards period pieces and, you know, the, the rest of them are. Yeah. Uh, I think Oppenheimer, it's a bunch of guys in suits. They're not going to win costume design for that. Good for, good for them for being nominated. It's fair, but eh. Uh, Napoleon, again, no one cares. Uh, <laughs> it, again, it's, I even kind of liked it. No one cares. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, maybe. Mm-hmm. But I actually think Poor Things is the one that's got, it's got the most standout looks mm-hmm. that isn't contemporary and has that period quality. It feels like they had to be more uh, made. 
yeah. you know, or or carefully preserved. The, um, um, and it's and it's a lot of there's a lot of variety in poor things. To be yeah. fair, like I think it's an impressive achievement. I won't be disappointed if it wins, right. but I would prefer it if Barbie did. Um, all right, next up we have mm-hmm. best makeup and hairstyling. And I haven't seen one of these nominees, so ah, I've, okay. I have to. I haven't seen yeah. one of them either. Uh, the nominees are Golda, uh, which Especially is I haven't seen two of okay. the nominees. Golda, yeah. which is a biopic of Golda Meir, starring Helen Mirren under a lot of makeup. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maestro, starring which Bradley Cooper, biopic a, of under similar <laughs> makeup. Bernstein by the way, a lot of makeup. Yeah. Similar makeup to Golda, by the way. That's a that's an uncomfortable double. Uh, Oppenheimer. Those guys did look older sometimes. Uh, Poor Things, which has some weird Frankenstein-type stuff in it. And Society of the Snow, which is the one I didn't see. Yeah. Uh, and that's... Uh, and, you that's... Saw, and you saw Golda? Yeah, yeah. Because right. um, I haven't seen Golda or Society of the Snow. I haven't seen Society uh, of the Snow, so, so I, I can't I can, speak I can only vote for one of the ones I've seen, so mm-hmm. I need to just... Yeah, well, about that. That, which is fine. Um... um Again, this category, it doesn't even matter if it's a good movie, but I think it helps. I think people mm. are more comfortable voting for something they think it's a good movie. Uh, and a lot of Best Picture nominees are up for this one. Yeah. Uh, I think it, it's going to be an awkward day if Golda or Maestro are nominated for for their nose prosthetics. <laughs> I don't think anyone wants to have that conversation. So uh, I think it's probably a safe bet to say poor things. The makeup is more in your face, and it's a very respectable movie that everyone's really throwing a lot of love at. And yeah. I don't think it's going to win as many categories as some people would like. So I think this is a poor things category. Uh, I, I, uh, as for I, what should of the ones I've seen, poor things. I, I, yeah. I agree. Poor things should and poor things will. Um, uh, just because they got to do uh, like sort of strange makeup on Emma Stone, but they also got to make, like, monster makeup on Willem Dafoe. Like, the, yeah. there was some effects makeup in here as well. Yeah. So. A lot of tattoo work as well on one oh, of those yeah, characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, it's, it's impressive, yeah. Jima. Uh, next up, we have... Who, who's the actress who played the madam in, oh, in Poor it was, uh, the same. It was the same woman who played uh, the, the witches in Tragedy Macbeth. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, and I'm blanking on her name. Hang on a second. This is going to drive me insane. She, she was really good. She's I got one of the most thing. amazing voices yeah. of any actor working right now. Um, let's see here. What's it? Uh, Catherine Hunter? That's it. Okay. Catherine Hunter. Amazing voice. Yeah. Actor. I, I think Holy she crap. played like Richard the third ones. Like she got, oh, done a lot of I'd love to have seen that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Next up, uh, we have the category of best cinematography. Uh, this one has one of the more obscure titles nominated for a major award this year. So a lot of people are like, huh? Uh, El Conda, which is a vampire movie. And also a biopic about a fascist dictator. It's, it's uh, what, if, what if Pinochet was a vampire? Yeah. Hell, I wish I liked the movie more, but that's a hell of a premise. Um, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, Oppenheimer, and Poor Things. Uh, I've seen all five of these. Uh, what should win? Mm-hmm. El Conda. It, the, the, the cinematography is astounding in that motion picture. Okay. Like, it's really just epic <laughs> and it's, stunning. It's, it's like, it's like what if Wes Anderson but Denis Villeneuve? Like, that's the aesthetic <laughs> that we're going See, for here. Uh, it, that was Edward Lockman was the photography on the uh, yeah. photographer on this one, and he did um, a lot of movies you've probably seen, like Less Than Zero or mm. Mississippi Masala or Mi yeah. Familia. Um he did uh, Simone, yeah, the one with uh, uh, Al Pacino and the AI celebrity. A movie that has sadly aged very well. Very well. Yeah, I, I thought it was funny at the time, and yeah, it was funny at the wrong. time. But now it feels like more relevant than it ever was. Mm. Like 
because nobody saw Simone, here's where we are. Mm. It's, it's like that, that joke, like, um, uh, the, the sci-fi author who writes, uh, uh, don't invent the torment nexus. And then 20 years later, the tech bros are like, good news. We've invented the torment nexus. Like out of that book we like, that's what happened with Simone. And, and, uh, and he's worked with Todd Haynes a lot. Yeah. He shot far from heaven. He shot yeah. wonderstruck. Yeah. He shot, uh, dark waters. The one nobody saw. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not the biggest fan of the movie, but we're talking about the cinematography here. And I do think it's some of the best cinematography of the year. All right. Uh, I think what's going to win is Oppenheimer and a walk. I think, yeah. Um, uh, again, poor. I like poor things. Okay, I'm not like as high on it as some people. Um, but it does have really beautiful photography. Um, I like Rodrigo Prieto. I'm going to talk a lot about Killers of the Flower Moon because sure. I did really like that movie. I think that the photography in that is really great. Mm-hmm. It just sort of made it look beautiful and hellish at the same time. Like it was mm-hmm. really just masterfully the way they handled light in that movie. Oppen- There's no way Oppenheimer's not going to win this. Yeah, I- um, I'm a little unclear on which one you think should though. I, I think Killers of the Flower Moon should. Okay. Um, but I also think poor things should. I think there's good photography in all of these. Okay, fair enough. Uh, one second, I'm just writing this down okay. so I can I can come back to it later. I'm glad they didn't nominate Napoleon. Because mm. <laughs> yeah. that has ugly ass it's photography. Not, it's, not the, it's not the best part. Yeah. So so uh, so you think Oppenheimer will and Killers should? Yeah. Okay. Uh, next up, uh, we have best production design. The nominees are Barbie. A lot of repeats. Barbie, Killers of the Flower Moon, Napoleon. Mm. Uh, we're shit-talking Napoleon a lot. It's, it's not that bad a movie. It's just there's it's, no it's one's going to vote for it's it. Not that, yeah. It's not that great. No. Uh, Oppenheimer and Poor Things. Mm. Um, this is one of the two categories I think are a safe bet for Barbie. Okay. I yeah. think, I, I, um... I, I think uh, uh, Poor Things might win this. It's very plausible. Uh, but I think Barbie created in addition to the costume design but they created just this very specific interesting world that you you want to visit yeah, yeah in a very in a very uh uh fun way and i mm-hmm. think i think recreating that without making it seem like it's just a joke mm-hmm. is kind of a masterful accomplishment uh i i think it's a safe bet i think it will win and i think it should um, I think it will win as well. I know. So I'm sorry we're voting together on a lot of no, these. But here's the thing: only half and half. I think Oppenheimer should win this one. Ah. Uh, you, you, some of the interiors of like those 1940s and 1950s classrooms, you can smell the pencil eraser shavings <laughs> in those rooms. Uh, you can smell the pomade on those guys' heads. Um, it it has a very particular look mm. that uh, just reminds me of like my dad's office <laughs> that uh you know, it's, that it's, it's really it's really though, visceral yeah the, the holders has that as well but yeah more, more like you know what does your school kitchen smell like you remember that right uh, that's the holdovers it smells like your school kitchen oh. sounds like taco snacks oh well, I, I was thinking like you know cleanser and oh weak thinking, old meatloaf oh you're you thinking know? behind the counter yeah i'm yeah, talking yeah. about like okay never mind um all right, and the cat. Uh, the next up is the category of best sound, mm-hmm. uh, which used to be two separate categories. They shrank them together mm-hmm. uh, under the uh, by promising them. One of the reasons why they're able to do that because normally you wouldn't want to, you know, r- make fewer opportunities for people in your guild to win awards. Uh, they they said we promise we will keep the award in the Oscars ceremony if you let us compress them, and then as soon as they did that, they took it out of the ceremony. 
such a dick move, but it seems to be back, and that's good. Um, they're not they're but, not but, doing that thing where they me, give out half the awards before the award yeah, ceremony, let, let, and then somehow the award ceremony ends up longer than usual anyway. Let, let us pause here to remind you that the the Oscars are fucking meaningless. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just a bunch of people giving each other statues. Uh, it's mm. no serious gauge of any kind of quality whatsoever. Again, they were literally invented by the studio system. To keep the talent happy, mm-hmm. so that and distracted, so that they wouldn't be inter- as interested in collective bargaining. Right. It was right. It, the, the the Academy Awards it was an were designed union measure. <laughs> it, it's a union busting organization. The by de- by definition, and we all fell for it. Mm-hmm. So much of the industry runs on. Oh, we just got to do all these Oscar campaigns half the fucking year mm-hmm. when we could be doing more important things. But we're doing a podcast. We don't have more important things to do. So let's do this. Uh, the nominees for Best Sound. <laughs> the nominees for Best Sound. Uh, the Creator. Surprised My... how much The Creator has been Two. paying attention to it. Two. But yeah. it was a big bomb. You know? How many people paying attention to yeah. it? Uh, the Creator, Maestro, Mission Impossible, Oppenheimer, and The Zone of Interest. So, the, so there's a sound. So we got spaceships, mm-hmm. orchestras, explosions. Big explosions <laughs> and, and and the Holocaust. Now, yeah. uh, they're not going to give it to the zone of interest, which is outrageous okay. because that is a movie told through sound. And my heart says the zone of interest, but I know voting with my heart gets me in trouble. Okay, uh, if I'm trying to be right, uh, they're going to give it to Oppenheimer mm. for the big bomb because it's big explosion. It is a very big explosion, and I and, agree. and that's kind of you know where a lot of the movie rests is you know the explosion of the atomic bomb creating that sound um the zone of interest has the best sound yeah it has the best sound of the year in most in i think of any of the movies i saw maybe skinnamarink has better sound oh god can you imagine just, that have been nominated for would, anything would that have been great this well, movie cinematography like, i would have been so happy was like ten thousand canadian dollars oh that would have been great that would have been amazing um in in the fact in that so much of the mood and so much of the story and so much of what's going on in the movie is told through the sound, that's the zone of interest. Definitely should win. Mm-hmm. And I'm really uh, pretty convinced that Oppenheimer is going to be the one that's actually going to get it. Mm-hmm. I think it's I think that's a pretty safe bet. But I am of the opinion that the people who vote for the Academy Awards at least try to watch all the movies, at least the best pictures. Uh-huh. Um, I, this is one of the ones where I'm not necessarily going with my heart, but my head says it's a 50-50. Okay. Oppenheimer is probably the safe bet, but if they watched the zone of interest, either in a theater Mm. or at home on a decent sound system, I don't know how you don't vote for it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this might be one of those categories where people are really surprised that Oppenheimer doesn't win it. Mm. And then this might actually be a bigger deal. Than any other like category that Oppenheimer doesn't win because he would be like, no wait, what is the zone of interest? We... Because it's, it might win best international feature, maybe it'll win screenplay or something. But like, if it beats Oppenheimer in a technical, mm. people are gonna be like, really? <laughs> no shit. So I'm actually saying that it will. I and I think it should. I think Oppenheimer has oh, almost a fifty fifty shot. But my, I'm flipping my coin, and it's landing on, on Zone of Interest. All right. 
So uh, I, I hope you're right. Me too. <laughs> me too. I mean, again, I, yeah. I, I, there's a couple of categories where my favorite nominee has not a chance in hell. I'm not picking that. Mm-hmm. Here, I really do think it's got a good chance. It's a minor gamble, but I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. All right. Next up, we got best original song. The, Di- no- the Diane Warren one. The Diane, yes, the, the obligatory Diane Warren one. She's never won one outright. Uh, the Fire Inside from Flamin' Hot. The story about Flamin' Hot Cheetos. I don't know uh-huh. why the Academy has such a thing for Diane Warren. Sometimes she's been nominated sometimes. You know what? Let's look at all the movies she's been nominated for. All right. I'm going to, real fast, here are the nominees. Uh, the Fire Inside from Flamin' Hot. I'm Just Ken from Barbie. It Never Went Away from American Symphony, which is a good choice, by the way. That's an interesting choice. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing this right. Wajaje, a song for my people from Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, and then What Was I Made For uh, from Barbie. That's the Billie Eilish song. But let's take a second here and let's look at like the career of Diane Warren. because she, This is her 15th Oscar nomination. Yeah, she's, she's won never, zero. I think she won an honorary one now just because, like, oops, sorry. Um, but why? Why, why? why do we keep gathering around Diane Warren? Again, she's I, a fine songwriter. Uh-huh. I think she's. I think she's been nominated. Why, why is she such an awards darling? I, I want to look at. I'm just. I'm just trying to bring it up here, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a bit clunky. Um, I want to look at actually what she was nominated for, and let's mm-hmm. see if there's anything where we go. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, so my internet because decided to be really slow all of a sudden. Y- you'll it. note that mm-hmm. the movies she's getting nominated for are usually like something she just sort of did on the side mm. like some really obscure well, movie that not lately. a lot of people saw yeah lately like flame and hot yeah i saw flame and hot but you know i'm yeah. a film critic I, I well i also couldn't sing i couldn't even tell you what that song was or yeah, where it was yeah. in the movie okay so uh, i'm going to go in chronological order here she was nominated for nothing's gonna stop us now from mannequin all right. Admittedly, that's a great fucking song. Okay. That's an amazing. People still sing that. That's yeah. great. Because you loved me from up close and personal, which is, yeah, which yeah, yeah, had yeah. a lot of radio play. Was have, a genuinely that's popular true. Song. It was it was a pop. Yeah. Um, the love theme from Con Air. How do I live? Which is so much more popular than Con Air. I know a lot of people like Con Air. How do I live? Is still playing on the radio, <laughs> like constantly, and to the point that if you told people no. This is the love theme from Con Air. Mm. They would look shocked. So I'm going to give her that one. All right. All right. Uh, Aerosmith's I Don't Want to Miss a Thing from Armageddon. Uh, that was also a huge hit. The, I'll give her that this, one as these, well. This opening wave is kind of all bangers. We kind of got to give it to her. Uh, music of the Heart from the movie Music of... No, sorry. The song music, was Music of My, my Heart. heart the, movie, the movie was called Music of the Heart. Yeah. yeah. Which I, I couldn't sing for in a million years. Mm. Uh, there you'll be from Pearl Harbor. Remember when that actually won an Oscar? Yeah, who who cares? Uh, let's see here. Uh, and then we skip ahead thirteen years uh, when she was nominated for a song from Beyond the Lights, which is a very good movie. Uh, a song called Grateful. All right, all right. Uh, she was not. This was a good song actually. Uh, the, she co-wrote with Lady Gaga the song "Till It Happens to You" from that documentary, The Hunting Ground. Oh, which is a, a yeah. very powerful song. I'll, that, yeah, gotta yeah, give him that. Don't remember that one. Uh, that was actually favorite to win for a little bit. Um, she was nominated for uh, uh, the theme song to Marshall, mm-hmm. the Thurgood Marshall biopic starring Chadwick Boseman. Uh, co-wrote it with Common. It's a song called "Stand Up for Something." Um, she was nominated for the Ruth Bader Ginsburg documentary "R.B.G.," a song called "I'll Fight." 
She was nominated for the Christian drama Breakthrough for the yeah. song I'm Standing With You. A movie which isn't bad, by the way. Mm. The, the actual movie, not bad. And it was directed by Belana Torres. <laughs> Her name is Roxanne Dawson. Uh, yeah, but if Bola- I say Bola- Roxanne Dawson, we're going to know who I'm talking about if I say the, the, the Klingon engineer from Voyager. Yeah. Okay. So, <clears throat> um, no disrespect. I'm just... It's cool that that that's, he's got directed mm. an Oscar movie. Uh, she, uh, from a movie called Four Good Days... Four Good Days. I don't even remember that movie, but it's called Somehow You Do. Uh, she uh, A movie called uh, Tell It Like a Woman for a mm. song called Applause. Right. And now Flamin' Hot. Mm. Uh, awesome opening, and then they just get less remarkable yeah, well, over time. Here, here's my issue with the best song category. Mm. It's rare that fun songs, high yeah. energy songs, mm-hmm. uh, catchy songs... Mm-hmm. Songs you like to listen to yes. for any reason are nominated. Usually they yep. give it to these really chewy, uninteresting ballads, yeah. uh, love songs yeah. that I couldn't sing for you, yeah. that aren't interesting when they're in the movie. I, they're the least interesting work done by some really interesting artists. Yeah. Um, I, Especially that's lately. Was... You look at the early days and a lot of them are songs that are now timeless classics. Yeah. yeah. But that was a time like when the music industry and the film industry were more intertwined. Mm. And now it really does feel like original songs, unless it's like a musical, are an afterthought. Yeah. And, uh, and, and they're of course outliers. I like, yeah. I like, um, uh, the song from Eight Mile, Lose Yourself. Yeah, that, that was a worthy I, I like win. It's Hard Out There yeah. for the Pimp. I like also a worthy um, win. Um, I liked when they nominated stuff like Blame Canada or That Thing You Do. Like, there yeah. was some. I still can't believe That Thing You Do lost. That Thing You Do should sh- have won all the uh, I still hear that on the radio in the supermarket, hmm. for Christ's sake. But I, I don't care about most of these songs, and yeah. I can't sing a lot of these songs. I think I'm Just Ken yeah. from Barbie is the fun one. Uh-huh. It, but it's not going to win. Yeah. I think it should. Okay. Um, I think the other song from Barbie will. I think Billie Eilish is going to get two Oscars in two years, uh-huh. uh, which are not not two years. Um, oh no, it was last year for for, 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 for the Bond theme, uh, yeah, yeah, the James Bond movie. Yeah. Um, so that means she's going to have two Oscars before she's like twenty two years old. So mm-hmm. fuck you, Billie Eilish. She will have stop more Os- highlighting how little I've done. At the end of the uh, year, she'll have more Oscars than Martin Scorsese. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not saying she doesn't deserve them. They're told, he's never been nominated for Best Original Song. It's a totally different thing, but that is a weird statistic. <laughs> needs to write a song for his Jesus yeah. movie. <laughs> um, I agree. I think that's 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 going to win. I think it's it, it's it's another one that's getting massive radio play. It's just all over the place. And it's another one that I think, even though it, when it's in the movie, it feels very appropriate, it also lifts out of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Whereas I'm Just Ken, which I also think should win. I think it's a, it's a, mm-hmm. just a hell of a song. Um, it's inextricably linked to the movie. Mm-hmm. You can't, you, you can enjoy it outside of that context, but you will always remember the context. Mm-hmm. And I think what Billie Eilish has, and, and whoever co-wrote it, uh, Phineas O'Connor, I guess. Um, O'Connell. O'Connell. Sorry, my screen cut it off. Um, I, I actually think that they've created a song, which is it's not my favorite. It's honestly like my fourth favorite song from that soundtrack. <laughs> like, but, I, I think it's a song that people will remember later on. Yeah. I think it's one of the songs that actually like holds on its own mm-hmm. in a way that a lot of the best original song nominees don't yeah, nowadays. I think... So I, I res- I'll, I'll respect it if it wins, but I would be so much happier if mm-hmm. I'm just Ken dead. Of course, the, the best song from Barbie was the Matchbox 20 song. <laughs> <laughs> very, that was perfect. We, it was wielded very they were, well. Oh, they knew way. exactly yeah. what they were doing with that one. Um, okay. Uh, next up, we have best original score. I don't know. 
This is a weird category yeah. for me. So the nominees are American Fiction, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which is just, yeah, you know who needed more Oscar nominations was John Williams. Uh, no disrespect, but he's got well, like he's, more than like he, anybody. He's like Diane book. Warren or or like Meryl Streep. It's like okay, we'll just nominate him. <laughs> yeah, because we kind of have to. I mean, he's won multiple but, oh, times for and deservedly I, so. I, I like John Williams' work better than I like Diane Warren's work. Yeah. You know. Anyway, uh, American Fiction, Indiana Jones, Killers of the Flower Moon, Oppenheimer, and Poor Things. And I'm going to be perfectly frank. None of these movies blew me away with their scores. No, they really they're all didn't. they're all fine. Um, I never I didn't I, uh, watch any of them and think you know what sucks so, is this score. So but... who who should win? Question mark. Uh-huh. Um, who will win? Probably Oppenheimer. Yeah, I think that's uh, just if you don't know bet on Oppenheimer, it just seems like the smart money. <laughs> it is the smart money. Yeah, I I really really like the only one of these movies where I kind of remember the score a little bit and thinking it was kind of novel was American Fiction, mm. and I think that's you know it would be nice to yeah. say that it should, but honestly I'm dispassionate about all of these even mm. though they're good like there there are just other movies like same thing with the original song like if the, if the song from the end of theater camp had been nominated uh-huh. i've been so happy there's so many songs from the spider-man across the spider-verse soundtrack that oh, are fucking yeah, yeah. awesome <laughs> it would have been great to see performed like my god so yeah. like yeah anyway i'd love uh, to see the, the score for spider-verse is probably really great it's really great yeah, it is great cool, actually like, across all these dimensions and stuff yeah it would have been awesome but anyway um all right uh so we're gonna get into the short subjects right now we're gonna make this kind of quick because it is a whole podcast on them uh the nominees for best animated short are letter to a pig 95 senses our uniform pesci Darum, and war is over inspired by the music of john and yoko uh, we just talked about this in another podcast, but maybe your opinion has changed. I'll give you a chance. Uh, what will and should? No, um, what I think should is Letter to a Pig. That was my favorite. Mm-hmm. It was kind of this abstract, very bleak kind of a story uh, mm-hmm. that used animation well. It kind of dealt with abstract concepts. I think War is Over is like the heart tugger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everybody knows the songs of John and Yoko. It's the one that's going to win. I'm pretty sure it's going to be War is Over. Yeah, I... Yeah. I want to say you're wrong. <laughs> uh, I, I, I wish I could. It wasn't let, my favorite short. I'll say I'll say the one that I think should win mm-hmm. is Our Uniform, yeah, which was yeah. animated in a very novel way. Uh, it was actually literally animated on top of clothes. They painted on clothes. Uh, and they're telling a story about their childhood uniform, and it's not as, you know, uh, uh, dramatically in your face as some of the other uh, nominees in this category that are talking about some very heavy subjects. This one is kind of a, it's a can of worms, but they don't really delve into, it's all very slice of life. Mm. Uh, But I think that makes it a nice change of pace. I would love it if our uniform won. Uh, As for what will win, I'm torn between 95 senses and war is over. Okay. And I'm going to not give the Academy credit and I'm going to say war is over. Gonna, <laughs> yeah, don't give them credit. Don't no, no, ever no. give them this, the benefit is, of the doubt. If I don't have a really good reason, if it's not like, oh, there's there's no clear front runner here, mm. um, I, this is what's always bit me in the ass before, I'm not going to give them too much credit. I would be happier if anything else won because I think war, in, war is over is trite. Yeah. But I think it's the one that like is kind of like we're a movie. <laughs> uh so yeah, I'm going to I'm going to agree with you on that one. Uh next up we have the best live action shorts. The nominees are The After, Invincible, Night of Fortune, Red, White and Blue, and The Wonderful Story 
of Henry Sugar. Now, before we talk about the elephant in the room, uh, this is actually a pretty good crop of movies uh, for this category. They're not all amazing. Mm. Uh, I would love to say that Knight of Fortune will and should win this category. You think it will win? No. Oh. (laughs) I would love to say that. You want to say that. I would love to, because I actually love that short. I think that short is very remarkable. I would teach that in a class. It's such a great example of short filmmaking. It's the the Danish short. Yeah, yeah. It's about a guy uh, who... um, uh, his, he's an old man, his wife died, he has to go like identify the body, and he can't bring himself to do it, and he gets swept up in someone else's drama, and that goes in a very unexpected way. It is both heartbreaking and very funny. <laughs> and that's a hard balance to strike, and they do a great job of it. Uh, but here, The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar is a genuinely impressive film, and it gives the, the Academy an opportunity to finally give an Oscar to Wes Anderson, who they love, they keep uh-huh. nominating him for things, but it never works out. And here it's like he's got the 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 arguably the best. It's it's genuinely great, uh, you know. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it will, and I'm I'm torn because I love Night of Fortune, but I think it should. I think it should as well. Yeah. I, uh, it's I think it's my favorite of the shorts, just because it's the only one that's not a total downer. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll note in previous years, and this isn't a like a hard and fast rule, but mm-hmm. a lot of the winners in the short film category, mm. the live action shorts especially, mm. are the outliers. Mm. If there's four comedies yeah. and a tragedy, the tragedy will win, and vice yeah. versa. This is four tragedies and a little bit more of a whimsical story. Like yeah. it's a little bit more fable like uh, the the Wes Anderson film. Yeah. Also, it's Wes Anderson. They're yeah. going to give it to you know, one of their darlings. Another thing I've noticed in this category is that the Academy tends to like to to reward the one that feels the most like a like a feature. Yeah. In a lot of ways, or like a demo reel for a feature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Wonderful Hunter's Story is much more of like a thick narrative than some of the others. Although, to be fair, some of the others check that box too. Anyway, next up, uh, the nominees for Best Documentary Short Film The ABCs of Book Banning, The Barber of Little Rock, Island in Between, The Last Repair Shop, and Nene and Waipo. Mm. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um. I think I said that when we did our uh, shorts mm. episode that the Barber of Little Rock will win. Mm-hmm. It was definitely my favorite. Mm. I think it should win, mm-hmm. but I've changed my mind. Okay. Uh, one of these was made by Disney. <laughs> got a lot of pull. Yeah. Um, like, The Last Repair Shop was really good. Mm. Barber of Little Rock and ABC's A Book Banning are all very timely, uh, very mm. pointed uh, political films. I think 99 Waipo really? is going to win. Interesting. It's it's about two two grandmas who are friends, and that's it. And it's really upbeat. And I think the uh, I think the academy is going to respond to that. I mean, it is very. Um, it, it's got a sense of sort of familial intimacy that the other ones lack. Mm. Um, so that's an interesting choice. I, I, these are hard categories to predict, to be quite yeah, frank. Yeah. Um, I I agree. I think the Barber Little Rock is the best one. Uh, I actually think that the one they're going to want to go for is the one that feels like a very big production, uh, but it also does tug at the heartstrings, and I think it leaves you feeling really good. It's got a really great ending, uh, so I'm going to guess that The Last Repair Shop will. Okay. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, yeah. it's a good documentary. I think it's good. It's just I know, I, it uh, wasn't my favorite. I know the Academy likes to vote for movies that feel political, but 
don't really threaten the status quo in any kind of way. Which is another good yeah. one for last repair shop. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there you go. All right, next up is a category where... Um, I abstain. I also... I, I have to abstain because I have seen none of none of the documentary features this yeah. year. I, I actually... I'm embarrassed. I was gonna, I'm going to try to see some before uh, the night, but I've also seen none of the oh. documentary features. However, we are, for the record, just for the sake of it, uh, going to say what we think will win. Uh, do you have any idea what will win? What's your um, pick? Oh, I was looking into this. Yeah. Um, oh, the nominees, by the way, they're uh, Bobby Wine, the People's President, The Eternal Memory, Four Daughters, To Kill a Tiger, and Twenty Days of Mariupol. Um, I think I was looking into this, and and I think The Eternal Memory. Okay. Had uh, like the most interesting plot. Okay. Uh, it's about this this elderly couple, and um, and it's you know about. Alzheimer's. Okay. Um, and it's that seems like mm. touching and difficult in a way that I felt the Academy might respond to, but I haven't seen it. Mm. I'm just going by the premise. Mm-hmm. It's just a guess. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, uh, on that note, I'm also going off of I'm going off the one that I think has I've heard people talk about the most, which again is not a sure thing in this category. Uh, and I'm going to uh, predict 20 Days in Mariupol. Okay. It's a documentary. It was actually Ukraine's submission for Best International Feature. Didn't get nominated there, but it was nominated here. It's a documentary about the, the Ukraine war going on right now. Uh, very timely. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, I, I've heard really good things. But I've heard really good things about all of these, to be yeah. fair. And, I, I, again, I abstain. I have no critical commentary. Just this is what the, the, the whisper heard on the wind. Yeah. All right. Next up. Uh, and this is one where I also haven't seen most of the nominees. I'm going to abstain. I also abstain, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we're going to pick what we think will win. The nominees are Best International Feature. Uh, Io Capitano. Perfect Days. Society of the Snow. The Teacher's Lounge. And The Zone of Interest. Um, I've heard a lot of love for most of these movies. I haven't heard a lot of people talk about Io Capitano. I haven't heard anyone say anything negative about it. But I have a lot of love for Perfect Days, directed by Vim Vendors. Uh, Jay Bayona's Society of the Snow had some, you know, other nominations in other categories. I think that, mm. you know, boosts its visibility. I've heard really good things about the Teacher's Lounge. But The Zone of Interest is a mind blower. And I think there's a really good chance that the fact that it's not my best picture, everyone's seeing it, they're going out of their way. It's my pick to win, but again, I haven't seen the others, so maybe some of those are better films. I can't I'm, say. I'm guessing, uh, just in terms of the way the politics. Again, I can't. Uh, uh, I haven't seen the movies, uh, so I can't really say <laughs> right. what should win. But uh, knowing the way the Academy likes to give international feature to a widely acclaimed movie that they don't want to give other awards to, mm. uh, you know, because Oppenheimer's going to sweep a lot of the other stuff. I think this is where Zone of Interest is going to come through. So yeah. Zone of Interest is going to win. Okay. All right, moving on. Animated feature. Best got... animated feature. We got... Oh, sorry. I thought you were, I thought you were, I thought you, you've been reading them. So right. uh, the Boy and the Heron. Uh, the Pixar film Elemental. Uh, the Netflix film Nimona. Uh, the uh, mostly silent film Robot Dreams. And Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. The sequel to a film that won this category mm-hmm. before. Whitney. Um... Hard to say what will win because I because I, 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 I didn't love any of these movies. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, some of them are really impressive and really uh, ambitious, but uh, you know, visually speaking, most of them were just like really, really reached for the stars. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, none of them really kind of hit hard. Like not you anyway. Not me. Um, yeah. So I think what should and what will win is the boy and the heron. Mm. Uh, just in terms of its oddness, in terms of its creativity, in terms of visuals, and uh, also Hayao Miyazaki is a bit of an Oscar darling. Mm. So he has one before. So they're 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 just they're gonna fall back on the safe mm. bet, I think, and give it to the boy and the heron. Uh, Spider-Man, maybe the, the uh, thinking is, oh, we did that already. We don't need to give another yeah. Spider-Man movie an Oscar. Mm-hmm. Um, Elemental wasn't a big enough of a hit. It was like a, a slow burn on that one. But it was and, it was a hit, though, and it, yeah. it, did, it did strike over time. Never count out Pixar in this category. Okay. Remember, remember when Brave won, and everyone's like, really? That was not the favorite this year. Yeah. People default to Pixar. That's true. that's true. And that's a pretty good movie. I finally got around to it. It's not, it's not a bad film. Um... For me, the one that I want to win is the biggest long shot. It's Nimona. Um, it would, <laughs> I know you're very fond of Nimona. I'm very fond of it. It really touched me. Like I, I, It connected to me in a very personal way. Um, and also, I think it's a great story as well. It's a movie that Disney rejected for being queer. And then it ended up getting Oscar nominated. It wasn't queer enough. Whitney has his they, opinions. They, 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 they didn't, Whitney they didn't, has his opinions, and we're just going to let this go. It's not. We're, we're just going to. We're right. not going to fall down that rabbit hole again. Right, right. Um, I love that nothing would make me happy. That would make nothing would make me happier than if that won. Uh-huh. I'd be like just all over the moon. It's not going to. Um, I do think this is a horse race, though. I think it's between Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which yes, they did do it again, and that might mm-hmm. make it seem like you know kind of repetitive if we do if we give it the same award. Um, I think The Boy and the Heron is not Miyazaki's best work by any stretch. Oh, oh no, by goodness, um, no. But, you know, he hasn't once in Spirited Away, and whereas Spider-Man won a few years ago, hmm. so if that's a factor. Um, and again, I wouldn't count out Elemental. I don't, I think that would, it would be a surprise, but I would also be like, that tracks. Okay, yeah. uh, But I'm going to predict The Boy and the Heron. I think The All Boy right. and the Heron is, uh, you know, it's the respectable choice. Hmm this year and i think it's artiest of the films yeah Yeah. and uh even though this category tends to favor uh movies that are more like kid friendly um hayao miyazaki is one of the exceptions to that rule i think so uh okay uh next up we have best adapted screenplay this might be the hardest category to predict this year if you ask me i think every movie in this category has a legitimate shot yeah uh the nominees are american fiction uh barbie Oppenheimer, Poor Things, and The Zone of Interest. Uh, American fiction, you know, people love Jeffrey Wright in this movie, people love Sterling K. Brown in this movie, but the thing the people who love this movie like the most, even though I think it has some issues, is the screenplay. Mm. It's the th- category for this uh, win, and it's won quite a few awards leading up to this. Uh, Barbie, there was uh, some mild controversy. We made to make a deal of it, but there was some controversy over it being inadapted. Because it, because I, I, it didn't adapt a story, it adapted a concept, uh-huh. which arguably they did most of that work. I would argue it didn't that adapt, here's what it adapted: mm-hmm. decades worth of written ad copy. Yeah, it's it's an adaptation would, of written material. I would argue that the screenplay for Barbie uh-huh. is, if you care about originality, more original than the screenplay for Maestro, which is a biopic based on a whole bunch of shit that actually happened. Well, here's the thing. When they say original screenplay, they're not talking about originality. I know. Those, those are different we want, But that's the thing. A lot of us want it to mean that. Yeah. What that really means is, did a studio have to buy an IP yeah. in order to... Did they have to buy a book? Did they have to did, buy a property? Did an author, yeah. uh, author yeah. read a book and adapt it to another medium? On some level, 
well, if you if you read three books, it's an original screenplay. If you read one, it's an adapted screenplay. And I think there's something kind of thin about that. But um, I'm not going to split hairs. On I, this. It's I'm just clear. I, I, it's clear, <laughs> but I also think there's a double standard involved. It. But we're just we're, yeah, let's just not get into it. Barbie is nominated. Um, I would be really happy if it won, and I think it's got a real chance. Yeah. Uh, um, people just enjoy it. It's a great screenplay. Oppenheimer, it's a shoe-in for Best Picture. Yeah. It's probably winning Best Director as well. But the question is, does Christopher Nolan need three? Yeah. Is this an opportunity yeah, yeah. for them to spread the wealth a little bit and give, give an award to someone else for a change? Maybe. Uh, Poor Things, an incredibly popular movie. Uh, and the zone of interest, which would be the cool vote, yeah, like which, the really stark Kubrickian art house vote, you know, it's it's the dark horse, and that's what I think should win. I think uh-huh. that the zone of interest really does have the most interesting screenplay. I think it tells yeah. a story through a lot of like interesting, unconventional means. I think Oppenheimer will win. <laughs> you think Oppenheimer yeah. will win? Yeah, uh, it would be nice if Barbie did. Um, I, yeah. I think it's gonna be. It's. I don't think it's gonna get it though. I yeah. just, well, I think Oppenheimer is gonna kind of charge through everything here. Again, I would not be surprised if any of these won. Mm. If if they can, oh, poor things. I'd be like, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not gonna. You, you haven't blown my mind. Like, I do think every single movie here has a has a fighting chance. Um, I think Barbie should win. Uh, I'm genuinely impressed by how they were able to take something that should have been corporate and mindless and ended up making it genuinely thoughtful, excellent yeah. and smart and funny and. Uh, you know they're having the cake and eating it too. It's still an advertisement for Barbie, but they didn't stop there. Yeah, and they made real art out of it. And kudos to them for that. Uh, I think American Fiction will win. Really? I think I think this is the category where this has the best chance. And I think people okay. want to reward this movie. Um, I, I people like it more than I do. I don't care. That's fair enough. It's all it's a popularity contest, and it's very popular. Um, yeah, I think this is the category where it's going to sneak through. But again. Anything has a fair. You you could flip a five sided coin on this one, and you'll, you'll be good to go. Yeah, I, uh, I I wouldn't be surprised even if poor things got set. All right, uh, yeah. the nominees for best original screenplay: uh, Anatomy of a Fall, The Holdovers, Maestro, May December only nomination for that film, mm-hmm. and Past Lives. And this was also I think a horse race, although I don't think it's five way. Mm-hmm. I don't think Maestro has a shot, and I think May December isn't nearly popular enough. Wait, it's been, it's an excellent movie. Oh, it's May great! December is great. Oh, it's great! Um, I'm so happy it was nominated, yeah. but I think it's the cool nomination. That's like it's like when Nightcrawler got nominated. Like yeah. it's too dark to win, but it's cool that it got nominated. Mm. Um, I think it's actually a real race between Anatomy of a Fall, which is a great screenplay, uh-huh. uh, The Holdovers, which is a very feel good movie. A lot of people love it. Good Christmas movie. Very yeah. yep. Uh, and Past Lives, which is not only a brilliant debut film, but it's also a very personal. There's a story behind it. Um, I would not be surprised if any of those three won. Uh, if I would vote, I would vote for Anatomy of a Fall. Yeah. Um, I, I would vote for Anatomy of a Fall as well. Mm-hmm. I think this one's going to win. I think it will uh, win too. Or, okay. or that, excuse me, I would vote for it to win. Uh, if I were choosing the screenplay, if I were an Academy voter, I'd choose Past Lives. Mm-hmm. Um, just in terms of its its uh, emotional honesty and the kinds of conversations it has, it's really, really striking. Um, so, I, so, so I'm clear. I, you I, think Anatomy of Fall will win, but yeah. Past Lives should. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Past, pa- past Lives or May, December. It would be cool if either of those win, but I think Anatomy of a Fall is the one that is getting like a lot of attention, but might get this one screenplay. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, I, I think this is the because it because it wasn't eligible for best international feature because yeah. France decided to submit the Taste of Things, a wonderful motion picture, by the way, should have been nominated. Um, I mean, I haven't seen any other nominees, but I would have been very happy if it was. Um, but uh, yeah, they didn't nominate. They yeah. they, they probably would have won it, but there that's not an option here. Yeah. If Anatomy of a Fall wins anything, this is the best bet. That is totally true. Maybe editing, but I think this is the best bet. But I'm really really torn. I think Anatomy of a Fall should win. And I'm really torn between Anatomy of a Fall or Past Lives for Will Win. Okay. I think they both have a real shot. I think if Past Lives wasn't nominated for Best Picture, I would definitely pick Anatomy of a Fall. But they both are. Yeah. I think Past Lives has the story behind the script. Mm-hmm. Which which the Academy likes. The Academy so. really, really likes that a lot. So again, I'm not going to give them too much credit. Uh, I'm going to say Past Lives. It's a worthy win. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it, it doesn't deserve it. I'm just saying, I think, based on the Academy's past history, they're not going to be able to resist it. Yeah. So, uh, so past lives, there we go. Anyway, um, we have the top five coming up. Yeah. Or, and or the, l- the four, or rather the, the four acting categories, and picture, picture and director. director. So, um, and we can steamroll through these, because... Most of them are feel like a sure these thing. These are kind of sure things. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, I'll make it real, real fast. Uh, best Supporting Actress... Emily Blunt for Oppenheimer, Danielle Brooks for The Color Purple. Yay! I'm glad. I was disappointed that I didn't get more nominations. Uh, it's, a, it's a weird movie, man. It's a weird movie, it's right? Like it's a weird thing to turn into a, a stage musical, but I can accept that on stage. Yeah. You put it back on film. I don't know what the fuck I'm it's looking at. It's a strange at. film, but yeah. great performances though across the board. Coleman Domingo. I Coleman Domingo. I thought he could have been double nominated yeah. this year. Um, Danielle Brooks for The Color Purple, America Ferrara for Barbie. Jodie Foster for Nyad, which I haven't seen, uh-huh. uh, and Davine Joy Randolph for The Holdovers. I think we can all agree that Davine Joy Randolph is winning this in a walk. She is, yeah. There's uh, nobody else. I'm sorry to all the other nominees. It's yeah. Div- uh, Divine Joy Randolph. How weird would it be um, if Jodie Foster won? It would be cool. Wouldn't that I be like, the strangest I think, thing? <laughs> I, I frankly would vote for Jodie Foster. I think she's really great. Is that who you of, think should win? That's who I think should win. Really? I, I think, okay, yeah, it's kind of like brusque best friend lesbian who like mm. gets to hang out with uh, Annette Benning with her dogs and badmouth other swimmers it's just fun it's a fun performance she's really good in it mm. okay uh well yeah so mm. i agree dave Andrew randolph is going to win this um you know i i actually liked her work better in dolomite is my name which i thought she got snubbed for she should have been yeah. nominated for that maybe it's a make good uh, maybe and maybe it is or honestly she is really good in it though she is really really good in it though um if i were voting and again i Leaving Jodie Root Foster out of it, I'd vote for Danielle Brooks. Really, okay. I think she was wonderful in that movie. I think it's just an absolute showstopper uh, of a performance. Mm. But uh, regardless, if Dave Andre Randolph wins, and she will, mm. um, kudos, good for her. It's great. It's a great performance in a great movie, uh, in, an, in an okay movie. Okay, <laughs> an okay Christmas movie. Yeah, I, I, I like it. Okay, um, I, I liked it. It was very, very warm and sweet. Okay, uh, let's see here. Next supporting up is actor, supporting actor. Yeah. Uh, the nominees are Sterling K. Brown. Robert uh, for American Fiction, Robert De Niro for Killers of the Flower Moon, Robert Downey Jr. for Oppenheimer, Ryan Gosling for Barbie, and Mark Ruffalo for Poor Things. I'm still surprised Charles Melton didn't get in this category because he's mm-hmm. real standout. For, for May December, but this it, it is was, still it was really too good. Cha- it was too challenging a film. It's, it's too challenging a film. It's it's very critical of actors as well, which maybe right. not everyone yeah. really enjoyed. Um, I will say though, this is a great crop. There's only one uh, performance in here that I'm not a fan of, and it's the one that's a shoe in to win, and it's Robert Downey Jr. for Oppenheimer. You don't think... You don't like him? I like him. Right. I think that entire subplot is superfluous. 
I think it's very important to the movie. No, it's, I think I, I, I think they've made it uh, important to the movie because they don't have anything resembling a rousing ending without it. Mm. It's all depressing otherwise. So that's what they so they they trumped this up to uh-huh. make it seem like it's as important as everything else. Oh no. Will he get confirmed for secretary what is it? The interior? No, it's his security clearance. No, no, no. The security clearance is different. I'm talking about Robert Downey Jr. Oh, supplied black okay, and white. Yeah. yeah. The security clearance I I'll grant you is, is very significant. It's the whole like Senate hearing uh-huh. and they get to say like at the end like oh and JFK was the reason and like all of this is here because you want some aspect of the ending to feel vindicating for Oppenheimer and it's not all down mm-hmm. you are forcing it so hard uh, I, I don't so think, one part of that movie I don't, I don't think don't it's like. forced I think it's very natural in fact uh, mm-hmm. I, I think both um, Oppenheimer and Killers of the Flower Moon are approaching uh, these really harrowing uh deathful parts of American history mm-hmm. and reducing it down to uh, petty male ego. And I think sure, that's, sure. that's a, a big part of, uh, of, of Oppenheimer that I think is invaluable to Oppenheimer. And I think that Robert Downey Jr. represents that means his part isn't very important to the movie. Mm-hmm. Also, Robert Downey Jr. is an excellent actor he all is. around. No, yes. I'm not, um, I'm not arguing that. Uh, I'm not begrudging him having an Oscar. This isn't what I give him to pull him for. Uh, I, 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 think, um, I think he will win. Uh-huh. I think this is sort of his shoe in. Um, if you could vote, uh, Sterling K. Brown's going to get another chance. Uh, mm. I'd vote for Robert De Niro. Mm. He's who's he really does fifth of fifth of five. Like he's nobody's yeah. talking about Robert De Niro. Uh, Ryan Gosling as Ken. He's fun. He's given better performances. <laughs> and Mark Ruffalo and poor things. Never seen him do something like that before. It's a very weird performance. But why wasn't he nominated for You Can Count on Me or like one of his more yeah. soulful performances? No, like I, and like, I, 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 I like that he plays this kind of nasty cad, but you yeah. know. He's been nominated before. He was nominated for, I think. Uh, Spotlight, right? He was nominated for Spotlight, and I think he was also nominated for The Kids Are All Right. Uh, okay, yeah. uh, which is a great performance. Um, he, he, he should have been nominated and won for "You Can Count on Me." He's incredible mm. in that movie. Um, I, I'm happy that he got nominated, but it's interesting because Mark Ruffalo and, and uh, uh, Ryan Gosling play very similar characters in very similar movies. These are both <laughs> these weird, overt, fantastical feminist parables, and mm. they get to play the shitty guy <laughs> um, that we that you know we, we don't really respect and kind of represents everything bad about like you know misogyny and the patriarchy and shit um i agree i I generally agree this is a great crop sterling k brown is fantastic robert de niro is one of his better performances of his Mm -hmm. late career um i again i if robert Downey jr wins it good for him he's a good actor just you know they don't always get the award for their best performance i'll just leave that there as my critique um, he gives Kate, a good performance. Kate Winslet won for the reader. That was a good performance too. That is not what she should have been known for. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Um, I would vote for Ryan Gosling. Okay. I think it is a, a genuinely inspired comedic performance, <laughs> and I don't think we we reward those enough. And I think it deserves a lot of credit for that. And I think there's a lot of character nuance in there as well that gets overlooked because it's just such a goofy movie. Yeah. Um, I think he's fantastic. I think this is just one a, of his best performances. Look, when I found out the patriarchy wasn't all about horses, I kind of lost interest. He's <laughs> <laughs> got some good dialogue. He's so good. All right, next up, Best Actress. And this one I think is a bit of a race. Uh, mm. The nominees are Annette Benning in Nyad, a shoo-in. Uh, Lily Gladstone in Killers of the Flower Moon. Sandra Hewler for Anatomy of a Fall, mm. Carrie Mulligan for Maestro, and Emma Stone for Poor Things. I think the conventional wisdom says that this is a two-way race, almost even, mm. between Lily Gladstone yeah. and Emma Stone. I think that there is a slight chance that Sandra Hewler, who was also gave a she also gave an incredible performance in Zone of Interest, 
yeah. is like really get got everyone's attention right now. Mm. And if like if Lily Gladstone and Emma Stone split the vote, she could yeah. sneak in. But That's I do true. think it's 50-50 between Gladstone um, and Stone. And, and I don't know who I'd vote for between Sandra Hüller and Lily Gladstone because I think they're both mm-hmm. great. I think Lily Gladstone will win. Yeah. But who uh, who should win? Either her or Sandra Hüller. That's my uh, answer. It's, it's a tie between the two. Okay. Uh, all right. Uh, sadly, Annette Benning will not win again. Yeah. Uh, she she's fine. She's great in Nyad. Uh, Carrie Mulligan, no way. Uh, and and Emma Stone, no, no. I mean yeah. that she she got hers. She got hers, but she's also winning a ton of awards in the build up mm. to this. People, and it's an interesting performance. It's a neat, yeah. strange, uh, and very good performance. I feel, um, and I won't be shocked if she wins this. Mm. Uh, I think Lily Gladstone is gonna win, but it's a coin flip. Uh, and I and I would vote for Lily Gladstone uh, as well. Lily Gladstone, by the way, who identifies as non-binary, so you oh, putting them okay. in this category is sort of calling attention to the flaws uh, oh, okay. in that engendering the system now. Um, <laughs> but engendering, isn't that cute? Yeah. Oh, I I was re- it, I wasn't even doing the wordplay. I was like engendering. Oh, the, oh in ge- it, I thought you said in in it was the a prob- act of gendering these categories. There are certain <laughs> inherent said flaws. It, it was a problem engendering the. I thought you were saying, anyway. <laughs> no, no, I thought, thought it, it would worked that way. Thought you were making a pun there. It would it would have uh, worked that way. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, uh, best anyway, actor, so best actor, best actor. There's there's uh, Killian Murphy and four losers. And, <laughs> hang on, uh, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> there's Bradley Cooper and Maestro there's Coleman Domingo and Rustin which I haven't seen right. uh, Paul Giamatti in The Holdovers Killian Murphy and Oppenheimer and Jeffrey Wright in American Fiction I think this I think that Killian Murphy is the favorite however I also would not be shocked if Paul Giamatti won this I it's want a him very to lovable I, I, performance I uh, this is a tough race the only one I wouldn't vote for is Bradley Cooper, which is pity because yeah. he's trying so hard. He is. Um, and another Col- year, maybe he would have had a chance, but no. Maybe so. Um, yeah. But Paul Giamatti is another one of those actors who I think is a little under-recognized by the Academy. I think mm-hmm. he gives constantly good performances. Only, I think it's only his second nomination. Yeah. The other one was Cinderella Man. Yeah. That's like, not even remotely one of his best what, performances. American Fiction, for God's um, sake. Splendor. Or American Splendor. American right. Splendor, she should have been nominated. American Probably Splendor. should have won that, yeah, for yeah, God's yeah. sake. Yeah, no, he's, he's incredible I'm in so Harvey many movies. Car. Yeah, sorry, yeah. American Fiction's this year. American yeah. Splendor, he's really great in American yeah, Splendor. Yeah, no, I think that might go down as his best performance at this rate. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I honestly think I'm torn for should. Killing Murphy's really, really good in Oppenheimer, and I think it's hard to imagine anyone else doing that role. Mm-hmm. And that says a lot. I think it's one of the reasons why he's the odds-on favorite to win. Uh, if I were saying should, I'm torn between Giamatti and Wright. Okay. Uh, again, American Fiction isn't my favorite movie by any stretch, but I think he really nails the balance between yeah, farcical comedy and real human drama. And, and that's uh, a tough balance to strike for an actor. And I love Jeffrey Wright. Mm-hmm. He's another one who's a little bit under-recognized by the Academy. Yeah. I do think it's going to be Killian Murphy's to lose. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if I'd vote for... Je- I guess I'd vote for Paul Giamatti just because I liked The Holdovers more, but that mm-hmm. doesn't mean he gave a better performance necessarily. Yeah. And I, I also like Jeffrey Wright. I like Coleman Domingo too. I yeah. feel like all of these actors are going to get another chance. I hope so. Every single one of them. I hope so. Um... But, uh, yeah, I also agree. I think uh, Killian Murphy is going to win. Um, and I, I, I seriously would be would agonize over picking between mm. Giamatti and Wright. I think I'd probably go Paul Giamatti. Mm. Uh, but it's a tough one. Because yeah. that's that's, that's, they're, they're, both, they're both, like, such good characters. Yeah, uh, you know, memorable characters. Yeah, like Paul Giamatti, this, like, weird history-obsessed guy. And, you know, uh, Jeffrey Wright plays this, like embittered uh cynical author like these are good characters 
All right. Well, uh, the last two categories are, frankly, not hard to predict. Mm. I'll be very shocked if the odds on favor doesn't win. But let's talk about it. Let's talk about who we think should. The nominees for Best Director are Justine Triet for Anatomy of a Fall. Uh, Martin Scorsese for Killers of the Flower Moon, oldest nominee in this category. Uh, Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer. Yorgos Lanthimos for Poor Things. And Jonathan Glazer for The Zone of Interest. I think we all agree that Nolan is going to win this. Nolan's no one, win. No one has any other heat. Uh, yeah. uh, but if you were to vote, would you Jonathan, vote for Nolan? Jonathan Glazer. You'd vote for Glazer. Uh, although my favorite movie of the year was uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. Mm-hmm. Uh, skip ahead, I'd vote for that for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. But... Um, the zone of interest is is uh, it's astonishing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's challenging and 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 hard and confrontational in a way that you don't expect. And it's it's the kind of film that couldn't be made by another person. Even something like Killers mm-hmm. of the Flower Moon could be capably handled that kind of a story mm-hmm. by a director other than Scorsese. Sure, he told it in his way. Yeah, but I feel like there's other versions of that story that would be just as powerful. Yeah. Nobody can make a film like like that, like The Zone of Interest, except for Jonathan Glazer. Yeah, but I think you can also say that for Oppenheimer. To be fair, yeah, I think which I, is why I think Oppenheimer is going to win. Oppenheimer is going to win, and I I'm, I'm torn because I think Jonathan Glazer did an amazing job, and I actually think Justin Trade did an amazing job. Um, they're all these are all worthy nominees. I'm not as high in poor things as everyone else is, but they're all worthy nominees. There are people who I would have nominated instead of a few of these people, including but not limited to Greta Gerwig. Um, if I were to vote. Honestly, if these were the nominees, if my other favorite nominees weren't in there, I'm going to vote for Nolan. <laughs> like, I, I realize it's almost like a wasted vote. Of course he's going to win. Yeah. Everyone's going to vote for me. But I also think I can't imagine anyone turning Oppenheimer into the movie that it is. I can imagine other art house filmmakers doing something as challenging as the zone of interest. They wouldn't make do it the same way, but I think it, I can't imagine turning Oppenheimer into a blockbuster spectacle the way that Nolan did, while still mostly doing a good job of respecting the material and the context. Um, You can argue that there are things that they could have done better. I think it's more of a screenplay issue. Um, I think the direction is really impeccable. So in in this crop of nominees, I would would vote for Nolan. I think he's going to win. All right. All right. And lastly, Best Picture. Uh, The nominees are American Fiction, Anatomy of a Fall, Barbie, The Holdovers, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, Poor Things, and The Zone of Interest. I think if Greta Gerwig had been nominated for Best Director, Barbie would have a fighting chance. But she wasn't, no. and it doesn't. Oppenheimer is going to win this. It's pretty much a foregone conclusion. Yeah, Oppenheimer is going to win Best Picture. Yeah. Like but, I said, I'd vote for mm-hmm. Killers of the Flower Moon. I... There are a couple movies on this list that I just don't like. I don't yeah. like American fiction. I think yeah. it's not very good. Um, Maestro. And I don't like Maestro. Yeah. It's like there, there are still some not very good films mm-hmm. on this list. But the others, I like a lot. I like Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah. I like Oppenheimer. It's, it's mostly a good crop. Um, it's mostly a good crop. Like Anatomy the, of a Fall. Yeah, these are, these are some pretty good movies. And, and the ones that I don't um, like, I don't hate. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, like, they're poor, poor things are not going to be grudge, even though it's not yeah. one of my favorites. Yeah, no. Like I, Again, Maestro, it's, it's not a. I wouldn't call it a bad film. It's just it's so much effort to, for something that makes so little impact, yeah. which is frustrating. Uh, and American fiction, like it's it's very noble in its intent, and it does a lot of things right. I just think it kind of whiffs the ending. Um, but you know, Anatomy of Fall is astounding. Barbie is a hell of an achievement. The Holdovers is very sweet. 
Killers of the Flower Moon uh, is it's it's almost a disappointment that it came out this year. I feel like another year it would have had a better chance mm. be rewarded. Uh, Oppenheimer is very impressive. Uh, Past Lives is what a cool film to be nominated in this category. Yeah. Like another, if without ten nominees, I don't think it gets in there. Uh, Poor Things again, I'm not as high on it, but it's a hell of a work. And the Zone of Interest is fantastic. I would be torn between Barbie and the Zone of Interest, which is a thing I never <laughs> thought I'd say. That's a weird crop of films to be uh, tormented. Do I vote for Barbie or Zone of Interest? And I think when I look at the Best Picture uh, category, I think you're picking not just the best film. That's very subjective. Well, keep in th- mind, it's it's posterity. It's posterity, exactly. You're picking... What was the film of the year? Mm. Regardless of what's the best, what was the film and I think it's Barbenheimer. Yeah. I think yeah. in an ideal world, it'd be a tie. <laughs> like, how great would... Oh, my God, how great would that be? If it's a tie between Barbie and Oppenheimer. Oh, my God. That would be the coolest <laughs> thing. There's never been a tie for Best Picture. Yeah. That would be the most amazing thing. <laughs> I don't even know if they can, based on the system that they have for it. Because this is the one category where you submit a ranked ballot. Mm. So I don't even know if that's possible in Best Picture. I'm I, curious. I mean, there's got to be some circumstances where it can happen. How fun would that be? Yeah. That'd be the best day ever. Um, I, I would vote for Barbie. I think okay. when all is said and done, we're going to look back at this here and we're going to remember Barbenheimer. Mm. And I think Oppenheimer will win, but I would, I would vote for Barbie. Here, here's what I'll say about Barbie. Even if it gets nothing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I know a lot of people were upset that uh, mm. Greta Gerwig was up was not up for director. Yeah. I think she's a shoo-in for song. Maybe a shoo-in for song. Yeah. Uh, first of all, Greta Gerwig was nominated for Best Picture because mm-hmm. she was one of the producers. Or Margot Robbie, excuse me, was nominated because she's one of the producers. Mm-hmm. And uh, Greta Gerwig was nominated for screenplay. for screenplay. Not, she not picture, it. though. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, and Margot Robbie was not uh, nominated for Best Actress yeah. for Barbie. So they, they, they got their nominations. Yeah, uh, It's one of the biggest hits of the year. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of surprised the Super Mario Brothers movie wasn't up for animated just because it was such a, a steamroller. Same. Yeah, um, I'm pleasantly so, but yeah. I, I'm glad it wasn't because it's not that good. But, uh, yeah, no. I don't, uh, yeah. It wouldn't have shocked me if it was. A, Boss not... Baby was nominated in that category for crying out loud. Yeah, like their, yeah. their standards aren't always high. Uh, but yeah, th- those were the three big ones of, of last year. Like the mm. big hits were Mario yeah. Brothers. Uh, Blockbuster wise. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Barbie and Oppenheimer. Yeah. Um, and 2023 was when we kind of turned a corner. Uh, mm. Trends changed rather strikingly mm. all at once in 2023. Uh, all the superhero movies started to bomb. The ones that were successful weren't taking up a lot of the air out of the room like they had in the previous years. Uh, yeah. Even Guardians of the Galaxy, which was a huge hit. There was also like, yeah, but it's we're saying goodbye to these characters. Yeah, James like, Gunn isn't fair, coming fair back. Well. We have a lot of yeah. emotional investment that's tied in, but so, it's not like we're we're interested in anything new. Uh, yeah. In short, Disney is fucked. Um, <laughs> but uh, that said, I think honoring sort of the new the new wave of blockbusters as we kind mm. of figure out what's yeah. going to be hits and new stuff, random stuff, stuff you can't predict. Uh, the, nothing. None of the pro, the tried and true uh, uh, formulas of the last decade mm. are going to stick anymore. Yeah. So it's going to be up to the Academy to start honoring those blockbusters. Yeah. Oppenheimer was one of those. Yeah, it was. Oppenheimer's their big hit. I Oppenheimer's agree. their baby. If it sweeps every single category, I will not be shocked. No. 
No, I'm a little disappointed, but I would not be shocked. And, and again, I can't be too disappointed because I like Oppenheimer a lot. It's a it's mostly well crafted movie. Mm. Like again, I I don't think it's a bad film. It's just got elements that I don't think work as well mm. as everyone else does. But for the most part, it's a hell of an accomplishment. I, yeah. Again, you vote for Oppenheimer, it wins. I'll be like, eh, okay, fair enough. But I'm not going to be mad at it or anything like that. It just if of the two films that are nominated that are the film of the year. Uh-huh. I like Barbie better. That's that's what it boils down to. I like Barbie better, but it's fine. I like Barbie a lot. I I, I don't like it any more than I like something like Pleasantville or uh, the Brady Bunch movie, which are movies I really enjoy. Um, But they're not like best picture material. I I would argue that those weren't. (laughs) I think think Barbie is, but anyway. Um, I digress. Anyway, that is, uh, those are our our nominees. Uh, uh, I hope you were writing them down because I'm not going to list them again. It's a long list. Um, it's late. I want to go home. It's late. We're going to go. We're going to go. We'll be back next week. We'll talk about the Oscar fallout. Uh, I'm sure there's something to be upset about, and we'll review it. Uh, and uh, we'll also review some new movies. Something's coming out next week. Is it uh, Kung Fu Panda next week? Kung Fu Panda 4. Uh, no. We got a Love Lies Bleeding, another lesbian caper film. Okay. Um, and a couple others. Other as things well. as well. Imaginary. Well, we'll review some stuff and we'll talk about some Oscar stuff. So thank you everybody for listening. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you to all of our patrons in particular. We can't do this without you. You're, you're lifesavers. You're the best. Uh, you can uh, listen to our movie, our podcasts on Patreon ad-free and get access to a lot of exclusive shows. Uh, as well. Uh, that's patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Uh, we owe you a we've got mail. We're going to do that this week. Uh, our email address is letters at critically acclaimed.net. Whitney, what is our P.O. box? And send us a physical letter to the critically acclaimed network, P.O. box 641565, Los Angeles, California at 90064. Okay, we might read your correspondence on the air and answer your questions or respond to your criticism or anything else you want to talk about. Uh, and of course, we're on social media at Critical Claim. I'm at William Debiani. And never forget, everyone is a critic. Why did I say it like that? I want to go to the midnight show. I'm sorry, what?